Hey, 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 AK Heads, we are back with another episode of Talking Lead AK Corner, Season 3, Episode 5, almost to the halfway point for our third season of the Talking Lead AK Corner. If you didn't get a chance, make sure you go to last month's episode where our guest was M13, we had John Holton on, and we talked Kalashnikovsmithing. And Brian and I had a really good time with John on that episode. Had some great tips. So uh, for you smithers out there, home builders, uh, or if you're looking for a good AK builder, uh, check out that episode. And uh, as I mentioned, joining me again this episode, my co-host, Brian Keeney with Occam Defense Solutions. Brian, welcome in. Happy as always to be here. It's nice to get a break from regular work and talk guns. Heck yeah, man. I'm glad to see you cleaned up your office there, too. Man. It's looking spiffy. Well, thank you. We're trying. I don't, I don't, you know, one of my guys told me to say that the drop cloth behind my shoulder there is a super secret development project, but really it's where everything had to go when I... That's <laughs> all all the shit you moved out of yeah. the way. <laughs> you just covered yeah, it yeah. up. Yeah. I, I do. That's what's behind this. <laughs> that's what, that's why I've got that up, too. Uh, so, uh, Brian, we're going to have a great episode. We're kind of switching gears a little bit from the AK, where uh, you know I've, I've mentioned it a few times, where I want to get into talking about some other guns. We're going to talk submachine guns, and specifically the Uzi, the Israeli Uzi. Yeah, there it is right there. And uh, yeah. to help us with this conversation, we brought in an expert. We brought in Tom, and Tom, I'm going to let you say your last name. Oh, geez, here we go again. Because I'll jack it up. I don't want it to Al- sound Arabic. <laughs> yeah. Allah, no, Alabrando. It's just Alabrando, man. Sicilian, long, right? Yeah, it's a long Dago name. That's what that is. Right? <laughs> with uh, with uh, Tom's with IWIUS. Tom, mm-hmm. welcome in. One of the sponsors of the Talking Lead AK Corner. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is uh, this is fun. This is cool, man. Yeah, it's we're going to have a good time. I've been very excited about this, especially the build-up to it, the research that I've been doing uh, prior. Uh, as you leadheads are listening, I did a, a post uh, this earlier this week. I got to go to Royal Range USA where they had a full auto yeah. um, Uzi, and uh, I got to play around with that a little bit, so that was really fun. Um, hopefully one day I'll get one of the new, the new modern ones there that uh, – the Uzi Pros. We'll have to have you up at the uh, the factory for the for yes. The that thing is pretty slick. It's pretty cool. They they really did a, a pretty good job of updating it um, to what its potential could be. All the gripes that were out there with the old Uzi, and you understand things change based on technology and oh, need. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they kind of got it up to speed. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, too, is we're yeah. going to kind of start off with the history and then work our way up to, to where you guys have modernized it uh, today and it's kind of the evolution of the Uzi. The Uzi, yeah, the, absolutely. The Uzi. Um, Love it. And I think probably a, a good place to start would be with just kind of the, uh, you know, the category of submachine gun and just let's talk about, you know, what a submachine gun is. So, yeah, general definition uh, comes from it's a, actually back in you know the early 1900s, and it was uh, John Thompson really who coined it. It's basically a 
Um, they had belt-fed machines, those like Maxims back then, but this one fired a pistol round, so it was a sub-machine gun. It was a full-auto system, shoulder-fired, that fired a pistol caliber. Uh, of course, back then, all they had you know, was pistol caliber and then full-size rifle calibers, like 30 mm-hmm. six and 8mm and things like that. So having something that, that did that was kind of a new thing. And um, obviously... World War One, the evolution of that changed everything. You know, when you get into trench warfare, you know, the shotgun suddenly becomes extremely important. Right. Uh, and then having these close in fights, um, you know, full on, you know, the, the war started one way and it ended a complete other. Of course, millions of people killed in between. But there's this innovation that's happening at the same time. And they're trying to catch up with the reality of the battlefield. So that's where the submachine gun came in. I don't know if you know this or not, but they. They actually tried to take a 1903 uh, rifle. The rifle is mm-hmm. called a Patterson device, and it loaded on the top. And they they were you're trying to modify the 1903 rifle to fire essentially a pistol pistol round as well because they were so desperate for something like that. Yeah, um, they were looking at every avenue possible. And obviously, you know, the Thompson came in, and um, of course, you know, which when you said John Thompson, that's the inventor of the Thompson, Thompson submachine yeah. gun. And like you said, he was the one to coin the phrase submachine gun, but the submachine gun, um, as it, you know, is defined, yeah. came before that. You know, like you oh, said, kind of kind of around pre just before World War One. Yep. Uh, we were getting um, a lot of the innovations for the the submachine gun. Pistol right. caliber, uh, basically rifle. So that's where they come with this. So, so it's something less than a rifle. Caliber. Less than a rifle cartridge, right? Yeah. And you know, and the um, the the war drove it. You know, 1915 is when you really start seeing more innovation, people pouring money into it and trying to get something that would work. Um, so, I mean, there was there was a whole lot of things that came out of that war, but that was one of the preliminary ones, obviously. So, yep. yeah, and I guess the um, uh, I guess one of the early examples of that would be. Um, I've got it on here. The OVP 1918. Yes. Which this there came, was, came from, um, Italy. Italy. Yep. There's, there's two Italian guns that came out of Italy. That was one of them. That was a derivative of another, believe it or not, another submachine gun that they were working on that had two barrels and two magazines. Oh, really? Other, but it didn't work. Right. Yeah. It had a high rate of fire. It didn't work right. So they ended up switching it out to that. And, um, that's where that came from. It had a very strange cocking device on it. It was very awkward. Um, it was just an unusual weapon. It really didn't take off. Um, you don't get into more of a, a modern system until, you know, obviously the the Thompson is, is I would consider it modern. Mm. Had a comp, more of a complex locking system. Um, and then the MP-18, the German gun, which actually carries over into for a while it actually works really well uh, but they're using wood stocks it's not what you think of as a traditional submachine gun like the thompson everybody knows that profile right. but it, the, you know, the earlier ones were were better built they were they were milled instead of yeah. the stamp receivers as we're seeing as as they develop and uh, become more and more yeah. popular because they, they want to make them cheaper and uh, easier to to use and produce but the the earlier models if you look at those things those things are solid you know, yeah, they're, they're well, solid. The MP, they're beautiful guns. MP, the MP, uh, the, uh, the OVP in particular. If you look at it, it did have a stamp metal kind of deal going on with it, and it was a bit awkward. Um, but yeah, you're right. Most of the other ones were 
absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm going to share my screen here for for yeah. our video because we're recording a video on this too. Can you see that? Yeah, what I've got there. Yeah. So I'm there just kind of I'm kind of in. Um, the Beretta. That's the Beretta. That one was was good, and the MP MP18 underneath there. That thing was. If you go behind the um, if you blow up the OVP there. Yeah, here's the OVP the magazine where it goes in. It feeds from the top. The cocking handle is actually that tube right behind the magazine. You had to push a button and pull it back. This one here is it over here. It's it's actually in the rear position right now. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's how you cocked it. That's why you don't see a cocking handle. It was a very unusual way of doing it. And the sights are offset. They're not actually in line. They're offset to the left of the magazine. You notice that the magazines they have are feeding from the top. And yeah. that had a lot to do with rifle design. Everything fed from the top with rifles, and that one ejected straight out the bottom. So it was uh, it was very unique. It was odd um, by today's standards. But the the you know the MP18 right there, the German one below that, below the Beretta, that guy um, actually gets used for quite a while. Like it starts working its the way. The Bergman MP18. Yes, that one ends up right before uh, World War II. You'll still see that even in the early days until the Schmeitzer comes around. The Schmeitzer kind of took over, and, and that became Which the, the Schmeitzer is the um, the forty, right? Yeah, the thirty-eight forty. There was two versions of it, and the thirty-eight had a problem, um, and it had to do with the bolt. It's an open bolt gun, this and one. it didn't have like a safety. You had to. You had to cock it and lift it into a, a cocking handle, kind of like what you think of an MP5, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the safety. When you pulled it back down again, now it's ready to fire. So it was a matter of moving the handle to get it to work. Yeah. But so now we're getting into the World War II gun. So after the yeah. the Bergman yes. MP18, because it still yeah. has that beautiful wood, oh, uh, yeah. milled. Uh, it's got a side yep. uh, magazine feed there. The Thompson yeah. was actually designed for World War One. It was. Uh, but they didn't actually get to use it that much in in World War One, and was more in uh, in World it War Two. It had some complaints. The Thompson did though, um, and it had a, a hundred round drum initially. I don't know if you remember that. It had it, those are very rare to find nowadays. By the way, they're worth thousands of dollars if you find one. They ended up cutting them up after the war. Uh -huh. But it was, it was soup. That's an eleven pound submachine gun. It's it's pretty heavy without ammo. And I had one. I had a nineteen. So that wood alone, you know, with the stock and the grip, the two grips, yep. that's solid wood on those things. And that was milled. It was all milled, and it had a different kind of locking system to it. Um, but the interesting thing was that that drum rattled so bad, it made oh, a lot yeah. of noise. If it got any mud in it or whatever, it was dead. So they used stick magazines um, in it for, if they could, and the the drum sort of fell by the way. So I did get to shoot a, an original drum in mine, and it, it worked great. Um, it was select fire too. Oh, nice. Um, there's yeah. So so a lot of submachine guns, you know, they're they're full auto and and safe. And these the 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 original one that you show the OVP. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, it's a select fire. That's why it has two triggers. The two, the one trigger in the front is semi-auto. The trigger at the rear is full auto, which is which is kind of unique. So it's it's ugly, but it it, it had its it was sort of practical too. So that's why you have two triggers in there. That rear trigger is the full auto. 
and the, the the whole yeah there you go the whole assembly oh okay i didn't even notice it had two triggers but yeah it does yeah it's got two triggers right it was a very odd weapon it uh, the magazine that you see in the top it rocks into place mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of unique um and it was the one of the first ones but it's it, it really didn't it wasn't that successful they were trying to rush it in and trying to make it happen it was uh right. it was okay so Right, and no, the money, no, I, you know, the money on the that they took to to make these earlier submachine guns, you know, is pretty expensive to make these. And then, as we see the development go with the Beretta Model Thirty Eight, the MP Forty, and as we yep. start progressing, they slowly start yep. losing the wood. Yeah, uh, they lose the mill. They go to the the stamped or rolled yep. metal. Exactly. Um, and so, then as as we develop to post World War Two. You know, then then we start getting into more guess, modern age, more mm-hmm. of what we're into to these days, and so the, the Uzi, me, which we get to. Let the me Uzi. back up to the Thompson real quick. The yeah. Thompson cost two hundred dollars to make back then. Back in the day, <laughs> it was two hundred dollars. No, that was big money. That was huge. That oh was, yeah, yeah. So how much is a, a tax stamp nowadays? Two hundred dollars. It's two hundred dollars. So they established that price because of the Thompson. It's because it cost $200. It was a gang. You basically had to pay for the gun twice to get it, which wow. was interesting. And that's why it's it's basically stayed $200 since, I think, 1934. You know, we had a, a conversation about this on our, our regular episode. I had an attorney on um, the Munitions Law Group um, mm-hmm. and uh, Derek, Derek at Munitions Law Group. And we were talking about how it's unconstitutional too, actually illegal to charge a tax on a right. And the second amendment is a right. That's true. Uh, it's, so, that's an interesting so way tax stamps about. are illegal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You go ahead and tell the, uh, BATF. yeah, right. Jack wagons. <laughs> yeah, we, we do, you know, at our job, we have to deal with that as well. Obviously we're manufacturers, so we're constantly dealing with that, but right. yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I gave cool. my Skype back up here. So I'm trying um, something new. I haven't shared my screen before. So let's, there we cool. go. Boom. It works. You're Tom, back. I'm fairly familiar with the AK, but I know very little about machine guns in general. And so for those of us noobs in the in the gallery here, would you mind going over the difference between open bolt and closed bolt machine guns and yeah, moving sure. firing pins and immovable firing pins? And in the case of the Uzi, you know, you were saying, I think before we started taping, that it fires from an, a closed bolt. Versions do. That's where I'm going. Is I thought, yeah. So if you could go through. So let's do this because I've got a whole outline for this, and that's going to come into play. So, so, so we've we've got introduced now to to the modern day. We're in the 50s with with the Uzi. Um, uh, I I actually wanted to touch on the Czechoslovakian um, firearm that it was modeled after. So if you can kind of go over that, and let's get into the Uzi. And then we'll get into let's do the history, and then we'll get into the parts and all that. Well, they'll they'll say that the uh, it's kind of like uh, Kalashnikov saying that he didn't take any uh, what he call it uh, I don't know inspiration from the from the MP thirty the Sturmgewehr right Sturmgewehr yeah yeah the Sturmgewehr so there was some the, the Czech gun did have some influence on it but in in full disclosure you know from talking being over there they were explaining that. They were actually working on this 
1948. It wasn't something that just came about miraculously in 1950. It was something that they had been developing, you know, going through the grip with the magazine or with the through the pistol grip to make it shorter and to make it simpler. So they'll say it really didn't come from that, but you can see that there's ab absolute inspiration that came from the Czech gun. Um, Let me bring that but, back up. Yeah, and the Czech gun, you'll see it's... There it's, it is. Yeah, very, very similar. Um, the Israeli gun, the one thing they didn't do is they didn't go with the wire stock at all or the, the you know, the, the bar there. Mm -hmm. they, they actually had a wood stock on it. It was the Uzi A, and um, they had four different versions of that wood stock that went on the back of it. So, you know, they, they didn't use that. It was a more comfortable stock, but it gave you a lot of, yeah, there you go. And that's one of the later ones. You can tell by the angled butt plate on the back. That one, you could actually hit a button and pull it off. Oh, sweet. The, yeah, the earlier one stayed on. Now, when I was in Israel in 87, I still saw a, a couple of Muldoons down by the Dead Sea IDF with the Woodstock Uzi in 87. I remember seeing that and going, wow, you don't you don't see that one every day. Um, normally, I really the, like the ones with the Woodstocks. I think they're beautiful. They Yeah, they're beautiful, but it added weight. And yeah. obviously, uh, the reason they did the removing thing is... But it helps with accuracy. Store it. It helped with accuracy. It was comfortable. But it was a way that you, you could store it easier when you pulled it off and stuck it in the bag or whatever. Sure. But um, they wanted something they could easily fold. I, and I'll tell you right now, I've, I've shot the, the, the one that, you know, uh, kind of ladders its way out. And that's not quite as comfortable. It's convenient. Um, and it's a stamped metal butt plate. So it has a tendency to slide on you. You really got to kind of bury it in uh, when you're shooting full auto. But once you get used to it, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's, it's an incredible weapon to shoot. Yeah. I think you've had some experience with it. And uh, it's wonderful. It's a good weapon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So let's talk about, um, I guess, Uzel. Is that how you say it? Uzel? Uzi? Uzel Gall. Mm -hmm. Gall. So mm -hmm. in, the, in the late 40s, and um, I don't guess he's as revered as, you know, Mikhail Kalashnikov was for the AK-47 in designing the, the Uzi. Is he? he is he there? He is there. And they didn't, he didn't want the, th the weapon even named after him at all he was actually kind of this uh more um i guess humble guy um they decided to call it the uzi um it, he did not want anything to do with it really he just wanted to invent it made it um and he like i said it came out in 1950 now they were a free state in 1948 but they'd been working on this trying to get it to where it is essentially now and it, it's it's uh it's it, one of those things that he they do revere him to a degree. I can tell you that right now. So it, there's no other real weapons. The Galil, I guess, is named at Galili. Mm -hmm. There's also a mountain in Israel called Galil, the Galil Mountain. They usually name their weapons after places, not people. Not people. Yeah. Is that so kind of why he was reluctant? Because from what I've read, he didn't want it named after him. No, he did not. No, he didn't. It's just he that was not his his intent. So, but he he built a a great weapon, and you got to understand back then you, you got to take it in context for, you know, you had World War II, you know, machine guns, submachine guns, things like that. Um, that you know, you look at the Thompson that they had in World War II, the sights weren't even adjustable; they were just kind of welded on by the end of the war. Yeah, uh, you had the M3 grease gun. 
Uh, so there, there really hadn't been anything quite like this. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, the check gun was there, but this kind of refined that a little bit. You know, the sights were definitely usable. It mm -hmm. was accurate. It was reliable. Well, that's something that degraded over the the evolution of the submachine gun as well. Were the were the sights because you had, you know, the sights were more adjustable on uh, some of the earlier models, and then as you get uh, as we mm -hmm. progress, and they, you know, they're trying to cheapen them and you know, make them yep. easier to produce, cheaper to produce. The sights are some of the things that, that suffered as well. But the Uzis are, like you said, they're uh, a lot better than the yep. the they, they Thompson work, submachine gun. They work well. They have a flip sight. Uh, one's for long distance. It's kind of like the old M16 sight. Mm -hmm. You have a kind of a near sight, like for 100 and in, and then you have a flip sight that gave you distance, and you could engage targets out at distance. Now, I, I've only taken it out to maybe 100 yards. I haven't really gone anything beyond that. Um, but you you can absolutely hit with it um, at, at distance with the 10-inch barrel for sure. Uh, it, did a, it did a pretty good job. So a great they, website for you, uh, Leadheads, to go as we're talking about this. If you want to go to imfdb.org, uh, I think it's the Internet Movie Firearms Database. They've got really good... Uh, yep. pictures uh, of all the different uh, models and, and whatnot mm -hmm. there. Yeah, that, yeah, there's, there's the different older stock on there. Um, that suppressor, they had one, it replaced the, uh, the barrel nut. And what you did was you pulled the barrel nut off and then you attached the suppressor on, you know, it was the barrel nut mm -hmm. and it's on. Uh, that one was more of a flush fit. That's not, I think that's a different version. That one is. Uh, I'm talking about, yeah, but um, they, they got pretty creative with it. It's got a psionic suppressor on it, it says. So yeah, that know. one's that's not the one that, that they had in Israel. Yeah, it's a little different from that one. So let's talk about the how the Uzi operates, and that'll get into Brian's question that he was um, uh, getting to earlier there. Absolutely. So the original Uzi, uh, back in the day, there was – the easiest way to make a submachine gun was an open bolt system. Um, it was just a, you know, more efficient, cheaper way to produce a gun. The Sterling, the Sten, the Schmeitzer, the Thompson, all of them fired from an open bolt. What that meant was when you loaded the magazine, you cocked the bolt to the rear. Okay. And when you press the trigger, the entire bolt comes forward. And when it comes forward, it immediately fires. Kind of like a belt fed machine gun, right? That's an open bolt system as well. Mm -hmm. So we come forward and fire, what I'm and then right now? When you let go of the trigger to stop firing. It would literally just hold the bolt to the rear. It holds it back. So that's what an open bolt system is. It's completely different from the way you might think of with an AK. With an AK, the, the bolt's forward. You drop a hammer. Hammer hits the firing pin. That's what starts the ignition. And then, you know, the gun's off and running. And that's not the way this works at all. You know, open bolts are, are opposite of the way you think. Um the unique thing about the Uzi open bolt, it, there was two things. The bolt actually went forward of the chamber. It's a huge hunk of steel in there. And because of that, because it went forward of the chamber a little bit, it really made um, that huge metal piece. That it's, and that's a straight blowback, meaning it uses the weight of the bolt to delay the unlocking. That's, mm -hmm. that's why it's a straight blowback system. But that bolt being so far forward made it actually really easy to control. And it was a really good setup. That's perfect animation right there. And that's, you know, if you look at the Uzi bolt, you can see how far forward it goes yeah. past the chamber when it's closed. So for you listening, listeners on uh, 
our, our podcast, not watching the video, you can go to 3D Gunner YouTube channel, and he's got a great animation of the the action of the Uzi. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that they did on the Uzi is it had a ratcheting system uh, on the top. So the, the danger with a open bolt is if you're cocking it and you let go of the charging handle before you've uh, engaged the sear, the, the bolt will fall and it will fire. Right. So you figured it enough to be on the trigger for that to happen. The Uzi has a ratchet in it, meaning you pull it back. If you let go of the bolt too soon, it will catch the bolt. It won't let it go forward. So you have to get it all the way back to the sear point and then it'll allow you to fire the weapon. So they knew they had, you know, a conscript military and they're trying to, you know, engage, put these safeties in the gun to make it easier for these guys to use it. Because let's face it, you know, if you're not familiar with it, weapons in general an open bolt mm -hmm. is kind of a tougher thing to get into and that's the same philosophy reason. behind the uh, the ak um make it so, as easy well, as possible for the conscript yes, soldiers to, as possible yes yeah correct. not not operation wise but yeah correct philosophy correct. of use and, wise and that's why they you know they did the grip safety on the back of it you know the idea was you had to engage it disengage you had to have positive contact with the weapon to control it and they were trying to do all kinds of things to mitigate that it's ironic because that philosophy in the Uzi carries over to the other open bolt gun that they have in Israel, which is the Negev. The Negev has the same on a belt fit, same ratcheting system. You have to ratchet, you have to get it all the way back to the rear. If you lose control of the bolt at any point in time, it'll catch it and won't let the weapon fire. Oh, wow. So they carried the philosophy from the Uzi into the Negev. There's a lot of things in the modern guns you'll see that carry over from that initial, we have a conscript military uh, philosophy. Not that they're not well trained. It's mm -hmm. just, it's just you know, eighteen year old kids. Just to mitigate uh, negligent <laughs> discharges, I guess. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's exactly correct. They they don't want to treat their own trip their own troops. That that was a big concern, especially because they were young. They spend they all spend three years in the military. The men do, and the women spend two years in the military. So it's mandatory. You, you've got to go. Now, there's ways to get out of it. Um, but for the most part, they have to serve. And not everybody's a line infantry guy. You know, they have to have support personnel, too. But um, they're trying to get them up to speed as fast as possible. And these are, I mean, think about it, coming out of high school. Okay, here you go. This is what you're going to carry now. You yeah. know, you want to make sure. And they carry it all, all over the place all the time. Make sure that they don't have an accident with it. So Now, you guys have evolved the Uzi in your uh, newer versions to where it's not the hold open bolt you've got the closed bolt on some yeah of they your, changed it some of your mm -hmm. newer your newer versions of that and we'll talk about that coming up but uh yeah let's talk about the standard uzi um the parts so we talked about the grip safety uh we talked about the um the bolt uh talk about the um the sights a little bit more and then the charging handle that you have is a top charging handle correct yeah, so they had two versions of the top charging handle, and I don't know if you could pull it up on your other one, but the Let's Uzi see. A that had the wood stock on it, it looked like a button on the top. It was super, super small. Um, the one that you see in the movies all the time, I'm trying to see if I could see one there. That's kind of small for me. Um, the, no, I'm not seeing it on there. There's a bunch of variations there, but not the one with the button. So There's it was more down here. Yeah, it was super small. It wasn't very pronounced. The ones that you're seeing here 
are very pronounced and there's a slot cut in the middle of the charging handle where you can still see the front sight. So that's where that slots there. So you can charge the gun, but you can see through the charging handle at the front sight and then shoot. The original one, one of the complaints was that it was very difficult to actuate the charging handle. So they had to fix that. And then obviously um, later on, uh, by the time, you know, and Tebby's coming about, they got rid of most of the wood stocks and they went to the uh, under the, the stock that, that folded out. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the key changes that they did. So I was trying to find an example of that. I can't find it. Yeah, no, it's, it, they're out there. I've, I've seen pictures of it. We have one. If the, if you get, I'll take you to the factory in Israel, but if you go to the factory in Israel, they have, you know, this, a Sten gun. Let's go. There. I'm ready. And they have, yeah, man, I'm up for, well, not right now. You probably can't fly into Ben Gurion currently. Well, yeah, they're, they're in a little turmoil right now. There's a thing going on. Yeah, it's kicking off. We got a lot of friends over there too, so we hope they're okay. Hummus uh, is is attacking. So, if you go in the 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 one of the um, showrooms there, they have the old Uzi and it's got the old charging handle on it. It was kind of hard to to get to, so they went to the more pronounced one that you're seeing on almost every Uzi you see now, Uzi B version. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it evolved even when it was being made. The Uzi is, it, it was made under license too. Israel wasn't the only one to make it. There were company, there were countries that copied it illegally. Um, China. And being Croatia. One of those. <laughs> Croatia also. Yeah. Croatia did too. Oh, that's, and, uh, that's okay. FN bought it on or uh, built it on license. The Germans before the MP5, you know, they got in a, was it Project 64? Um, they they actually had Uzi, or, uh, Uzis as well. There was 10 million, by the time it was fully done, there was 10 million Uzis around the world. It was one of the most prolific submachine guns. It, it's the most ever. produced submachine gun ever, from, yes. from what I've read. Uh, I don't think there's one that's um, that's nope. compared to it yet. No, I, I agree. That's I think that's correct. Mm-hmm. So... That should bring us to, well, let's talk about the magazine also. We haven't talked about the magazine. So, sure. um, you know, Uzi at the time, you know, the the grip-fed mm-hmm. magazines. So, this so the is design a, allowed them to do that. Yeah, this is a, a modern Uzi magazine because it's got an extra cutout in it, and we'll talk about that later. But this will fit in the old Uzi, and it had a stop on the bottom of it, and there's a little slot cut in the bottom, and this is another, it's a philosophy thing. So it's a European design. It was very common back then to have a latch at the bottom of the magazine. So you kept the magazine. So the soldiers, they didn't, you don't, you can't think like we do now. Like when we do a reload, we chuck mags on the ground and we move on. Right. Right. For a military dude, this is an asset. They, they reload this, you know, they get ammunition, they don't get magazines. So, um, <clears throat> the old magazine had a latch on the bottom that you pushed the button, you ripped it and you kept it. And this one will still do that. It'll feed into the old Uzi right now. And they had a 32-round magazine, which was pretty long. Um, this is a 25-rounder, which is a bit more practical. It's not quite as, you know, when you're if you're going into prone positions and things like that, it's, it's not hanging down quite as much. Obviously, you lose a little bit of ammo. And um, the newer version, how you know you have a new Uzi mag, is we got to have an extra cut. That's all it is. It's the same design, really. What's the extra, extra cut for? So the newer Uzi doesn't use the bottom latch anymore. That went away. That okay. was another complaint because now they drop magazines. So there's a magazine release button like what you would see the on index. a pistol. Yeah, yeah, right here where my thumb is. 
I can just drop it like a regular okay. mag. Right. So, you know, if I'm doing a reload, essentially, I can run this like a regular pistol if I need to. You just hit the button, drop it, load, and then charge, and then you're good to go. Because the original one, the mag release is at the bottom of the, the grip. Rip it out, rip a new one in, reach over the top, and charge it. That's how you, you reload it. Uh huh. That's exactly right. Um, the top charge was kind of interesting, too, because if you look at the old Galil, like the 1980s Galil, what did you see? You had an upturned charging handle. And that was inspired by the Uzi. Because how oh, you really? Okay. Yeah. That was one of the reasons. Think about it. If you had an AK, you have to either roll the gun up, roll the gun right, or pull your uh, shooting hand off to charge it. Well, they'd already established this you know, technique of reaching over the top and, and racking the action, right? So the idea was if you had a Galil and you reloaded, you would do the same thing. You rock the mag in, you reach up over the top, something that they knew how to do with an Uzi, and you would rack it with your hand and load the weapon. So it, it kind of carried over on the old on the uh, new the old Galil, not the new one. Yeah. So here's a picture if you're watching the video um, of the mag release he's talking about it's at the bottom of the grip and then the stop yep. that was on the magazine. So it was two yep. two little what I don't know what you call them. Stops, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Nipples. <It's just> stop. <laughs> Nipples. Nipples. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> sure. No, it's just a ledge. That's all it is. Magazine ledge. There you stop. go. A ledge. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's a little more professional sounding. I like that. I'm, but I, I'm trying to be, but I don't have to be. Whatever. It's all <laughs> So um, that brings us to, Brian, have you been keeping up on our, our little flow chart there? I was having an ADD moment looking at parts kits on Gunbroker, and I'm here to tell you I'm building me an Uzi. Um, oh, yeah? Well, that's going to be yeah. one of our questions. I think we've got several questions on yeah, it, so sorry, we'll, I, we'll talk uh, about that. That's good, though. That's a build-up to what, what's to come. I'll get away from squirrel chasing and hop back on Did that, we answer on, your, your original question? Kind of, sort of. I think, um, you know, there. It it looks to me as if some... Uh, open bolt machine guns out there, the firing pin is actually a feature of the bolt face. Is that mm -hmm. correct? That's true. So on the animation that we saw there um, of the Uzi, the extractor becomes engaged well before the, the round is in battery. And so it would strike me that the firing pin is unlikely to be um, protruding and that it somehow gets activated through sort of an interlocking system. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind talking about that very yeah. briefly. Is it I a know fixed pin? It's but. a fixed pin. It's believe it or not. It's, it, 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 it's just enough where once it, it gets in, it, it, it taps it and it fires it. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. It's not uh, much. It's just enough to get it going. Neat. And, uh, in terms of, you know, the equivalent of a light primer strike, about it, you know, how many light prime, how many fail to uh, combust events have you had in in your time running with a system like that? No, you you really don't. The only thing I've ever had is a you know sometimes a feeding issue, and that has to do sometimes with old magazines or magazine springs not keeping up. Well, but sure. be honest, be honest with you, the thing if you look at the mass of that bolt and the spring that's pushing it. It, it's it's known for its reliability because of that. 
Yeah, uh, sure, be, sure. Just because of the mass of it. Now, that's not to say here's the here's the bad thing about open bolt systems. There's a one huge disadvantage to it, especially if you're in the desert, is for the weapon to operate, obviously, the bolt's open, so that allows dirt to get in the gun. Now, they would not typically just carry it with it locked to the rear. It would be safety off, bolt forward on an empty chamber. And when they had an issue, they'd rack it and then start shooting. It, that, is it wait. possible that Israeli carry comes from that functionality of the Uzi? You know, most, as I understand it, it the Israeli manual of arms on, say, a Glock would be to not carry one in the pipe and to rack the gun at, at sign of threat. So that had to do more with the pistols they were issued back then. It was the Browning High Power, which is really designed to be carried British rule, right? So they had a lot of Brit uh, Browning High Powers. And that was a weapon that was designed to be carried cocked and locked. And they were not comfortable with that, especially... Not everybody got a pistol, you know, um, so officers would have them maybe or guy on a machine gun or a belt fed of some kind. He might get a pistol and they didn't have a lot of training in it. So it was another one of those things that, you know what, leave the hammer down, leave the chamber empty. When you bring it up, you're going to rack it and then shoot. And that was the idea behind really behind that. And it carried over for like they have Glocks now, which is designed to be carried with a round in the chamber. Mm -hmm. um, and there are units doing that now, just so you know, it's not uh, okay. every unit does that. They're, the, the line units might do that, um, but not, you know, Sarah Metcalf, they're going to carry around in the chamber. You know, those guys, your mom, um, which is uh, like their HRT, they're, they kind of shoot the way we do now, and they run around yeah. in the chamber. They're not all like that. A lot of the Israeli guys that I know that were SF, um, that carried concealed or whatever, there was a round in the chamber. They didn't, they didn't do the racking thing as they came out like what you're thinking of. Got it. You know, naively, there, there's a, um, I think it's on Netflix. There's an Israeli show called Fauda. I think. Saw it. I know it. It's legit, and um, the it's about a you know tier one counter terror unit for those yep. that haven't seen it, and. Um, there are several scenes where the main protagonist is practicing. Yep. The amount of times he racks the slide is just insane. And it's wonderful to know that that is Hollywood theatrics and not what's actually going on there now, because I just grip my teeth every time I see those scenes. <laughs> it's like, good Lord, you're wearing out your slide. Is you that know? a subtitle uh, TV show? It, I'm assuming. It is, and it is. Some of it, yeah. And and it's really great. Like FA, I've seen it, but I've never watched it because it looked like it was going to be subtitles, and I hate subtitles. But I did watch one last night that was subtitles, and it was pretty good too. Yeah, you know, you do have to read your way through a lot of it. However, um, it's really cool to see an Israeli take on Israel, um, and they give a fairly compelling case to the Palestinian terrorists. They give the devil his due. And um, that's so uncommon to see in general, especially, and I, I wouldn't have expected it with Israel because the the propaganda against Israel is so strong that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected that. And so it's just a really surprising series in a number of ways. And um, the action is yeah. pretty legit. Like, no, it's very so are they using Uzis in that? 
Yeah, they used the Uzi Pro in there, a couple of them. Um, okay. And they used the Tavor, the Dan rifle, which is our our uh, precision rifle, 338 Lapua. Um, they had that in there. Um, but they used the Glock. They used the hell out of the Glock. Really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the interesting thing about all those actors in that show is they're all Israeli. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. So the ironic thing, th- this is going to be interesting. So the mo- they, most of them have, uh, have been in the military then. I would say the majority oh, of, them of those. Have to, have, yeah, all of them have been. Unless they did that one thing that they can do to not serve. To, to, yeah, to opt out. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're cert- I guess it's very hard to do, but there's ways to opt out, but it's very rare. Um, the uh, Most Israelis, if you're like, I, most of the guys I work with, I say, okay, you're Jewish and what? Because most Israelis aren't pure Jew per se, mm-hmm. right? Like the guy I work with, he's Polish and Jewish. One of the other guys I work with who is um, basically me, my job in Israel, you know, he uh, he was Egyptian Jewish mm-hmm. there. It's very common. Um, one of the guys, you know, the, the guys that I work with, another guy I work with over there, uh, he's Persian Jewish. So, oh, wow. yeah, well, it's diaspora, right? They, they got spread all over the world. So they have all this, you know, blood that's there. Um, but uh, it's a Jewish culture. It's. It's their heritage. They, it's definitely in their lineage. It's in their blood. But um, there's there's something else. And they frequently speak. You know, a lot of the guys I know, um, they'll, they'll speak three languages, four languages, Arabic fluently. They grew up with Palestinian friends. I'll never forget we were in Jerusalem, and we go to this one place to eat lunch or whatever. With and I'm with my guys, and uh, we sit down, and he starts speaking Arabic, and the guy comes over, and starts talking Arabic, and putting the food out, and I go, uh, "We're good." He goes. I've known him since I was a kid. This place is awesome. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but there's a lot of that there. That's the ironic thing that you're not seeing is there are a lot of them that don't, they get along. They, they don't care. Um, you know, they just want to live and have families and jobs and lives. And they don't, they don't want any of this crap that's going on over there. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty sad right now. Yeah. With all the, the diaspora there, I may have some, you Israel files out there, forgive me for me getting Israel this files. wrong, but, but, um, uh, it's my understanding that modern Hebrew is a fairly new language and, um, that it was knitted together from Yiddish, which is sort of the, the, the language of the diaspora. And, uh, you know, there's old Hebrew, obviously that's a very set thing. Um, yeah. But after everybody got scattered, scattered, and then came back together, there are a couple different dialects of Yiddish that they kind of knitted together to yeah. get modern Hebrew. And so we we don't think about it, but you know, Israel's only about seventy years old, seventy five, yeah. like nineteen forty eight. Yeah, that's it. Nineteen forty eight when the they started designing the Uzi. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So. There's a, there's a, I don't know how true this is, but there's a story. A country that, that was designed around a gun. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. <laughs> it's a country <laughs> designed around a gun. Kind of looks like it a little bit, but um, they were, they were making it when the British were still there. They were, st- they actually started designing it when the British were still there. So they were trying to drive the British out. They didn't want the British there. There were actually two primary groups that were essentially trying to oust them. You know, it was the end of colonialism. That's what it came down to. Mm. Um, and the British finally relented and they left, um, you know, but uh, the there was a, a story that they were manufacturing weapons and doing things like that and that they did it 
at a British laundromat because they had it underground and they were building things and they were trying to find it, but the Brits would come in and it kind of hid the sound of everything going on underneath and kind of worked out. So that's that's one of the uh, the lures I heard when I was over there. I'm like, seriously? They're like, yeah, yeah we that's were cool. sneaky. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> they had to be, you know? Yeah, they had to be. They absolutely had to be. Yeah. So, so we're talking pop culture. Um, and Brian mentioned that Netflix show. What was it called? Fuma? Fauda. Fauda. F-A-U-D-A. Fauda. Fauda. Um, mm-hmm. So back in my youth, you know, I grew up in the 80s. And, you know. So did I. The Terminator. You remember this? Yeah. You remember this scene? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Are, can you guys see this? I can see it. I can't hear it, but I can see it. Hey, buddy, only what you see in the case. Yeah. The Uzi 9mm. Which will it be? All of them. Well, I love that. Love that movie, Terminator. Close early today. Yep. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to close early today. And then, of course, this scene... Yeah. Unforgettable. This is Reagan. I remember when this happened. The Reagan assassination attempt. Yeah, John Hinckley. John Hinckley Jr. Shots firing out. They tackle him here. And then watch over here to this side. Yep. You got Brady's down. Brady's there down. There he is right there. See him with the Uzi? Yep. Popped it out of his briefcase. He's going to come back over here. There he is. He's deploying the stock right now. He doesn't know you got to pop it. Just hit it, dude. Hit it. (laughs) Yeah, you got to smack it. Just got to smack it. There you go. He got it out. Yep. Secret Service had that gun for a long time. Had it up until the 90s. I think so. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, had it up until the 90s where they replaced it with the, uh, I think, the, the MP7. Uh, I don't think it was the seven. Um, I know they had the MP5 for a while, the K and the uh, PDW, but yeah. um, I thought the MP7 came a little bit later because the MP7 was they were. I think I know they have it now, mm-hmm. but uh, I can't remember when they brought that in. But yeah, there's the old. I remember seeing that scene, and I'm like, holy cow, an old school Uzi. Yeah, I mean that's famous. Got a dude with the Uzi. That's. Kind of one of the things that put it on the map here in America was was that uh, that incident there. It. But it's been in movies, uh, TV shows, video games. You know, Call of Duty. If you're a Call of Duty player, you know they've got the the Uzis and the different variants. Uh, yep. In, in the Call of Duties, Rainbow Six. But there's just bad guys and good guys alike use it. From absolutely. The PLO in the seventies, they used it so. If you go on that that uh, IMFDB, you can go through and it tells you all. I mean, just scan it through. These are all the movies, TV shows. Oh, that's movies. Yeah, this is movies that it's in. Okay, it tells you the movie, the the actor that was using it. Patriot Games. That was uh, a yep. good one. That's uh, Jack that's Ryan. Cool. Yep. The Jack Ryan thing. Sean Bean had one too. Yep. Wow. No, it's 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 pretty cool, but eventually it had to change, though it couldn't stay the way it was. Then we if get to modern day Tenet, the movie Tenet, twenty twenty yep. came out twenty twenty. It was in that Extraction, 
which I think that was a Netflix. Isn't that a Netflix? That was a Netflix, yep. That was a good movie. Thor when Thor in that? Correct. Yeah. Uh, the that Bangladesh we, police are using it. We had, no, uh, we also had um, we had a Tavor in that one, too. Oh, you did? Tavor. Yep. The good guys, when they're on the bridge and he's trying to get out, uh, you can see one of the guys trying to help Thor out, uh, and he, he rips out the old Tavor Sar. Oh, Sar. nice. So he's blasting away with that. So we had a couple in there, cameos. Now, are you, do you guys work with the movie um, production companies for that, or do you work with a third-party company like um, we had Leviathan Group on not too long ago, and that's something that they do You know, big is help movies get the, the guns and background stuff. Equipment. So the one that comes to my mind, yes, we do. Um, they, they just buy the weapons and then they modify them because they're, they're manufacturers, so they can just change the gun. But ISS uh, in California, mm -hmm. um, the guy who has the show um, Hollywood Guns. Hollywood Guns, yeah. Friends with him. He's a cool guy. But What's his yeah, name? He, um, is it Rock? It's not Rock, is it? Is that Rock? No, God almighty. It's killing me because we just texted back and forth yesterday, and now – it's one of those moments when you're on. Yeah, I know uh, Rock. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Who? Larry Zanoff. Larry Zanoff. Okay, Larry. Yeah. Does he Larry, own that? He I think he does. Yeah, he does. Okay. That's his company. It's ISS. Okay, I just and thought he worked probably, there. No, I I thought he owned it, but I don't. He I don't may. Know, I just I remember that show. I love that show, and you know, Larry was always kind of you know the genius. Uh, yep. Silent genius, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Super nice guy, extremely well versed in a lot of different things. But I, um, you know, that IDF course that I told you that I took. Say again. Remember the ID? We talked off air about the IDF course that I took. The yeah, yeah, the yeah. training course. Mm -hmm. Larry was my roommate when I did that. Larry's out. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a small world. <laughs> yeah. So, next time I call him, Larry and I train together. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> he's a good guy. I really like him. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. Once he warmed up to you, you know, he's kind of one of those that's got to, you know, he's got to fill you out before he starts opening up, you know, kind of deal. But yeah. Once he opened up, though, he was cool. No, he hit me. I don't know. We hit it off pretty well. We've been talking. I met him through IWI uh, at SHOT Show like four years ago or five years ago or something like that, and we just stayed in contact. He's always been like, hey, I need – parts for a you know it's a war or something like that i'm like yeah yeah we'll we'll figure it out you know and we'll get it out to you yeah um but he's uh yeah he's a sharp guy he's a good guy but yeah. he's got season five filming now oh they do so good you'll, was, yeah you'll see that show again he's back i was hoping so because when when we did the course you know they they were doing the show and i didn't i didn't know because i wasn't watching it then so i didn't know him i didn't know that he was on that show i yeah. didn't know he was somebody <laughs> you know? he doesn't act like it no, he he's very unassuming. Good, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just like a regular. That's what I like about. Yeah, he's a good dude. Good old Larry. But yeah, the the Uzi, very iconic uh, in uh, pop culture uh, songs. <laughs> There's rappers that call themselves Uzi. Uh, so, so uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and his brother, when they were in, and Tebby were using them. I know that for a fact. That was one of the weapons that they used there for the uh, Entebbe raid. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they reckon had, they're using them right now? No. No, the Uzi's pretty much, that version of the Uzi is done. Uh, the Uzi Pro is being used currently in very limited quantities. They don't use it a lot. But the 
matter of fact, they don't even have the machinery to make the old Uzi. Um, oh, really? They, no, no, they don't. We imported, uh, I could talk about this now, I guess, but we imported the last 31 old Uzis for a specific contract ever uh, about three years ago. Not to touch it. I should have shot it. I didn't. Um, we didn't test fire it. They were test fired in, in Israel yeah. and sent them on to the client. But they were the last 31 ever imported into the country. They had to refurbish them, go in, get parts. And we, we let the client know, just so you know, these are not new, um, but they will be like new by the time you get them. And they were. They looked six magazines and the packaging just like you know, factory fresh. I was like, Oh my God, 31 of them. This is beautiful. Did you guys do the work on that or did you have, you subcontract no, that out? They did it. Israel did it. The ah, whole thing. Very did nice. it for us. And they're like, we'll never do this again. Uh, <laughs> never say never. Come on guys. Never say never. <laughs> it was a worthy, it was a worthy, it was a, the client needed them. We, we helped them out. And, uh, well, let's talk about the modern day. What, what you guys are doing with the Uzi now at, uh, IWI. So, so you got a lot of changes to it. A lot of changes. And it had to do with feedback. So, again, back then you didn't worry about optics. They didn't have that kind of thing. Um, the top charging handle went away. And on the Uzi Pro, it went to the side, like what you're seeing here. So, get rid of the magazine here. But, yeah, it's it's now on the side. It's a side charging system. It does reciprocate when you shoot, though, um, when you fire it. But, fortunately, it's not near your hand, so you're – you're not really worried about it. it's not an issue kind of like an ak right mm -hmm. shoot an ak nobody complains about the charging handle moving it just it's out of the way it's in the right spot um because they moved it to the side they were able to put a pick rail on top and now you can mount optics on top now optics of your choice optics of your choice height of your choice now um this has it still disassembles in a very similar way to the old uzi you push a button and the top cover comes off. Come a little center, more center with that. Oh, sorry. There, no, that? That's fine. Yeah. Okay. So the top cover kind of rotates off. There's a lever at the back, and that's what takes it apart. And the old Uzi was the same way. That that really never changed. If you're going to look at this, uh, where the inspiration from this size came from, it's the micro Uzi. There was the mini Uzi in, the, in 1980. Then there was the micro Uzi. It came out in 1983. The cyclic rate on that thing was like 1,200 rounds. <laughs> 1300 rounds and it was ridiculous it was yeah. quick and we didn't talk about that real quick so the the original one was 600 around 600 uh, rounds per minute very manageable um you know easy easy going easy to shoot right so now yeah. and as it progressed and it's getting smaller it gets smaller it gets faster it gets faster so it, <laughs> it gets a lot faster yeah, the, the mini was like nine nine hundred to a thousand i shot one of those i remember blasting away with that thing and it was, you couldn't really get twos. It was, you touch the trigger, you get threes, yeah. fours out of it. Um, they went further on it on that version. They had they had two vents cut in the barrel to act as a compensator. And it, it's, it's ironic because they were cut high and right. Because mm -hmm. where does the gun climb? It climbs high and right. If, if you shoot it, if you learn to shoot a submachine gun, and I know you're pretty well versed, you've probably been to some schools. You actually center up or square it behind a submachine gun. You don't want to blade your body. Mm -hmm. Well, Israelis blade their body when they shoot, so the gun climbed high and right because there's no resistance to the yeah. recoil. So they cut two vents in the front of it uh, on the micro and the mini to try and compensate for the gun going high and right. And it, 
it sort of works, but it, you know, at 1200 rounds a minute, whatever, right. you know, who knows? So they need to put works. an anchor on the barrel. To, <laughs> <laughs> to hold well, it they, yeah. They, they put a vertical foregrip finally on, on the, uh, the Uzi pro it folded down mm-hmm. so you could grab it. You could hold on to it. And, uh, this one has the pick rail on it, but the Uzi pro it actually has a, a slanted forend. It looks almost like a cutlass, like what you would see on a Tabor. Uh-huh. It comes up, and they have these removable front rails that come off. And they actually made a round rail and a suppressor that went inside the round rail. And it gave you space for mounting things so you could attach things to it. Right. And that one is slick as hell. It's actually pretty cool because it's it's it looks almost like an SD or internally suppressed, but it's not, obviously. But it does a pretty good job. Um they because they were able to get rid of, of the top, you obviously have the optics. They still left the the sights on it. Now I'll be honest with you, the sights on this are when you when you have a brace, your face is so close to the rear sight. I'll be honest with you, it's pretty blurry. It's yeah. it's very difficult to and, use. And to be honest, also, I mean, if if you're using one of these, you're not really going for accuracy. It's close quarter, you know, you're right there. And it's just like you're pointing a finger kind of deal, you know? Almost. Um, I would tell you right now that I can hit 150 yards with this thing. Yeah, but that's not going to be your primary to go long distance with. It, no, it, it's primary use, what I'm saying is primary use 50 yards and is to get somebody off out of your face quick. and. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's 50 yeah. yards and in or that's what most sub guns are, are designed for is, yeah. is kind of close. And it yeah. is a select But that box. is impressive that you can you can hit – accurate at 150 with that well how long is that barrel oh it's like four inches hang on pull it out make that there you go that's it that's it that's the barrel holy that's 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 it now the new ones that we're bringing in just the civilian version just for your edification uh, are threaded okay Uh, there's no threading on this one um the the one i was alluding to before um, on the old Uzi, the, the Israeli suppressor, I think it was BNT made it mm-hmm. for them. They have a relationship with uh, BNT. It's, it replaced the nut, the barrel nut that, that screws on, that holds it all together. Mm-hmm. It actually replaced the nut and the, the suppressor just went right on, on the barrel and boom, you got a can. And it was a way to attach it securely and, and you were good to go. So it was a very simple way to do it. So the uh, the original Uzi was ten inch. It had a ten inch barrel, mm-hmm. and then you went down to the the mini, and the mini has mm-hmm. what was it like seven inch, seven inches or something like that. Seven yeah. inch, and then you get down to the the micro. Yes, uh, is that Which considered is a micro? The one you have there? Yeah, that's 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 what this body. If you want to look at the length of it and the design of it and the feel of it, it's a micro. Is what okay. this is based on. The super small guy. It's it's very little. There you go. Hold so, it up a little bit. D- down just a little. Just hold it down. There you go. Right, not, right there. Perfect. <laughs> I'm just gonna move it around. Gun porn, oh. man. We got We got to have the whole thing. We'll see the bottom like and everything. Thing holding out, you know, freaking, you know, the baby or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, this is more like the uh, the the mini the micro Uzi. This they actually on the micro on the uh, the they call it the Uzi Pro. It actually has a real legit stock with the Comite riser. And that was one of the complaints of the Mini and the Micro is this. And if you ever shot it, it was not fun. Like if your face hit that while you were shooting. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. It's smarted a little bit, yeah. Get some scrapes. So, 
and it, it slid. So th it has a comb height riser and a legit stock. And you can still, you know, you just pop it. The hinge is just like this one. And you can fold it and you can shoot it from the folded position. So if you had to, not this one, the stock you can. This now can one, you can you mag brace. dump that with one hand? Um, one handed? Full auto? No. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. You're gonna not <laughs> it's gonna climb a little bit. I don't wanna have that incident like what happened in Arizona where the kid killed the Yeah, the that was horrible. Yeah. That was an Uzi. That was a mini Uzi. Oh, it was. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was an Uzi. And it was that was a mistake on that was his fault. Yeah, I, I mean obviously, yeah. Bad, but that was a bad decision. It was just not right. Nope. I feel bad for the kid more than anything else. Yeah. So the other thing they got rid of was uh, again, like we alluded to earlier, is they went with the magazine release button. Sorry. Magazine release button, thank you. Yes, sir. Right there where you can actually hit the button with your, your thumb. Americanized so it. They Americanized it. And and that's because they're they're doing this with pistols over there now. Right, they have Glocks, they have all kinds of other things. So, all right. why why do the latch anymore when you can just have them do one thing and be exactly and be done with it? ASP so, Red Gun right here for all your training needs. Nice. I think they have Uzis too. I'm not sure. Do they? I think they do. For real? I don't know. They might. I have to ask. Okay. They they got a big selection. So one of the most common questions that we got asked about this guy at almost any show. Um, after, you know, can I own that, um, <laughs> is, is how do you shoot it? Because this version, like I said, the Uzi, uh, pro has a, um, it looks like a cutlass that you can put your hand on mm -hmm. and this one, you don't have the cutlass. So the idea behind this, if you're going to shoot it, wait, I got a is, picture of that. Let me, uh, yeah, you grab it like, just like a pistol, mm -hmm. just put your hands. There you go. Right. Like, there you go. Is the cutlass a removable thing or is that one that's. That's built no, into it, it. It's built that way. It's per. It's built that way, but the uh, the the vertical foregrip that hangs down um, is part of it. It's part of the cutlass. So um, if you go to the IWI, there it is. Dot, is that it? That's it right there. Perfect. So if you make that, if you can make that bigger, that's what she said. Yeah. Buddy. Hold on, I got a video playing there. That's. So you can see the cutlass and you can see underneath the very front of it where under the barrel, keep going up right there. Oh, that folds out? Grip that folds out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. And then if you go to the stock area, there's a button at the rear of the stock. Keep going back where it gets fat right there. Keep forward, down, forward, and a little bit right there where that round thing is. If you push that button forward more, just a hair, right there. If you push that button in there, there's a comb height. It pops up, so you can change the height of the stock, which is oh, pretty Oh, that's cool. awesome. Yeah, it made it better. And even at, at 1,200 rounds a minute, you that one you can control. That front piece there with the hook that hangs over to protect your hand with the pick rail, that all comes off. Oh, and you okay. can replace Yeah, that whole thing, you, there's a, a – um, right above where the uh, grip comes down, there's a little – it looks like a Glock disassembly lever. You pull that down and it slides off the front. That little thing it, right there. Yep, that's exactly it. You're right on it. Yep. yep. Good, good, good. Um, you can put the round deal on it and then internally suppress it. So it just makes it more better. -er. And what do you call this um, formation here? This I call that a cutlass. Uh, a cutlass, okay. If I'm joking just around. It's like a, the sword that protects the, the hand? Yep. 
Yeah, or staple gun, you know, whatever. A staple gun. <laughs> it kind of looks like a nail gun, yeah. It kind of looks like a nail gun. That's exactly right. It kind of. You would be correct. I like that. Yeah. Very but yeah, cool. this this is the one that's available for for use now currently, and um, and that's the Uzi Pro. Uzi Pro. Mm-hmm. Now are you, you still making the ten inch, the ten inch Uzis, ten inch nope. barrel? They don't make any of them. So is this the only one they're producing right now? For the U.S. market, yes. This is it currently. Okay. Are and they- They, like I said, they've eliminated all other versions of the Uzi. It's this one and then the full auto one that you had a picture of a second ago. Uh-huh. That's what they have and that's what they're using. So full auto, they're not making a semi-auto in the one I shot. Is that what you're saying? No. Not anymore. So the semi-auto one that you're thinking of that was imported, they stopped importing it. Um I want to say around 86 or so. Uh it was Action Arms. They brought mm. it in from Philadelphia. And when you saw that one, it had 16 a 16-inch um, barrel. A 16-inch barrel that hung out. I had one. Yeah. They um, had like a fake a fake barrel. Suppressor deal. That it, yeah. that it came with, that it just like, shipped with, but then you take that out and put the real barrel in. Correct. Kind of, kind of I SBR mine because I wanted it to look like an Uzi. Yeah. Um, but it was that one was a closed bolt system. It's it's similar to what this is. Mm-hmm. So you'll notice on your full auto Uzi, you only had one recoil spring that ran down the bolt carrier itself. Right. And this one has two. The second one is the uh, striker spring. Oh, okay. So, yeah, and the new one's similar to this, like the full auto. It's so it's, you've got no, a you got a floating firing pin on this one. Or no, is it no, a fixed firing pin also? No, it's a striker. Is how this one works, and that's how the Action Arms one you had there was. So it's uh, if you pull it apart here, hold it up higher. Two pieces. There you the, go. Yeah, there we go. It this is the firing pin here. It acts as a striker underneath, and as a matter of fact, you can pull it out. And there's, there's the firing pin. Firing pin right there. And you can actually just remove the firing pin. So there it is. So oh. when it's in the forward position, this this piece right here is cocked to the rear, right? And then when you press, sorry, let me turn it up that way. There you go. It's cocked to the rear. And when you pull the trigger, it lets this go forward. And that's what hmm. fires inside the bolt itself. That's why there's two holes, two holes back there and everything kind of lines up like, hang on. Interesting. So, so that's how it is when it's in the cock position. It's kind of back just about that far. Yeah. And then it'll ignite. It'll fire when you drop the striker, and then boom, it's it's off and running. That's all there is to it. And you'll you'll notice that the block of steel isn't quite as big. Mm-hmm. It still hangs a little bit farther forward, um, but it's a straight blowback system. It's just as simple as it can be, but it works. Very cool. Yep. It's pretty Ryan, do you have any questions? You just all struck there. And there's no, the, I'm the loving it. Right there. There's not much to it. No, there isn't. The commonalities to the AK are really striking um, in in philosophy as much as anything. But the sheet metal, the way the barrel, the barrel is just a pipe. You know, it's so simple. And um, so there's there's a lot to love about this architecture and a lot to learn from it. Um, uh, Tom, you'll probably not be aware, most people aren't, of what we named our company after, but Occam's Razor, if you've ever heard of that. I yeah. Have. 
all things being equal, the simplest answer is the best one. And yeah. that thing is all kinds of beautiful from that standpoint, you know, mm -hmm. very little to fail. Um, and I, the, um, the way that the, um, that the bolt carrier as it were, or the bolt, um, wraps around the, the barrel itself. That's really clever. Like there's a whole bunch of sort of secondary mitigation, um, of things going bad, you know, well before that, that round could get ignited. It's already shrouded by both the bolt and the barrel. Yeah. You know, there's there occasionally, like when you shuck around out of a Glock, it'll ignite and people that have their hand over the ejection port when they shuck around out to catch that, that round, uh, you know, don't have a good time when that happens. No. And, uh, so there's, there's, uh, that's a really cool, um, architecture there. And yeah, awestruck is the right word for it, Marty. You just got to think of it in the context of 1947, 48 timeframe when they're trying to think this stuff up. Sure. Um, and it's, you know, obviously want... go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, then, the, you know, obviously things moved on, and it's funny because, uh, you know, the MP5 is arguably one of the – it's it's a more complex version of a submachine gun, but it was one of the better ones. Um, but the Uzi still kind of held its own all through that 70s, 80s time frame. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a neat system, um, no doubt. And it came in 45, 41 Action Express. There were other calibers for it. I saw 145 Uzi in the U.S. It was a U.S. thing, mm -hmm. um, and it was a semi-auto system. And it was—it's very rare. If you find one of those, that's that's one of the rarest birds ever. Mm. So, yeah, there's uh, 22 versions out. There's the um, uh, 40s. There's some 40s uh, that were made in the 40 caliber, and then the 41 AE. Action Express, yeah, that yeah. was a very short-lived cartridge, really. Yeah. Uh, they made that for the Jericho as well, or the uh, was it the Jericho or the no, I can't remember if it was the Jericho or the Baby Eagle, but they made a forty-one Action Express, and it was imported by uh, I want to say it was uh, God Almighty, Magnum Research, the same guys that mm -hmm. were doing uh, the Desert Eagle and things like that. It I was very. Odd I believe it was the Desert Eagle. Yeah. The 41 Action Express pistol cartridge developed in 1986 to reproduce the performance of the 41 Magnum police load. Yeah. It was, uh, it, we knew back then when we saw it that it, it probably wasn't going to last. It wasn't going to survive. And in it, 19, it built, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. In 1988, IMI, which is IWI now, also developed a 9mm. A nine millimeter Action Express, which was a 0.41 AE neck down to nine millimeter. It offered a much larger case capacity than the standard nine millimeter case, allowing velocities that matched that of the 357 Magnum when loaded with light bullets. Sounds like the uh, Sig 357, doesn't it? This move anticipated the parallel development of the 357 Sig there uh, you go. from the 40 Smith and Wesson in 1994. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Very cool. Pretty interesting. It all ties together. Well, I mean, we legicate here. This is a show for legication. <laughs> yeah, it is. We legicate the uneducated, Tom. Absolutely. <laughs> so, let's uh, let's yeah. go to some of our listener questions now. I want to I want to field some of these questions because we got a lot of questions uh, this time. 
And I'll start off on Instagram. And while I'm going through and looking at this, uh, Tom, we, we didn't do this in the beginning. I wanted to for you to talk a little bit about your background and um, you know kind of where you come from. It's very interesting. So I was a cop in Arizona. I graduated political science degree. Poli sci. Uh, poli sci guy and a history minor. That's why I was when we were talking before. I was like, "Are you a history guy?" I'm, I should have double majored and just done history because I I really enjoyed it. Um, but I was a cop for 11 years, but I was a SWAT guy and a law enforcement sniper. And I taught CQB and all those things. I taught at the academy. Um, then I ended up leaving and working for, uh, Blackwater, which was, uh, back in 04. Um, met some interesting, good people, which I still talk to this day back then. Um, I worked for them for about 10 years actually. And I was already kind of a foreign weapons freak when I was a cop. I had exposure to it through a lot of other folks that were into that. And we, you know, you just kind of in Arizona, especially you find each other and then you end up working with all kinds of neat systems, MG 34s. And I got to shoot an original Sturmgewehr STG 43. It was the predecessor to the 44. Nice. It was like 200 wow. made. And I, you know, that I was you got pictures on. of that, right? No, I only fired what? four rounds of it too, by the way, because he couldn't <laughs> find ammo at the time. It's a very weird cartridge. So um, when I worked for BW, I worked initially at open enrollment, which is everything from civilian training to law enforcement to military. We did all the specialized training courses. Um, I worked with anti-terrorism assistance. I worked with uh, CNTPO, which is a counter narco-terrorism program for DOD. Um, and I taught a lot. So I did some intel work. I did counter assault. Um, I did PSD related work and a lot of training. And I ended up going to uh, four different places officially, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, West Africa for a while. And I bet that uh, was interesting. Yeah. West Africa was, was definitely interesting. Were you doing uh, the narcotic stuff in Mexico? Uh, no, believe it or not, protection of national leaders. So we were training the presidential team down there is what we did oh, okay. for, for, for protection. It was the, their version of secret services. We were, we were spinning them up on, uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures that the uh, State Department allowed us to teach them. So um, that's what we were doing down there. Cool. The narco-terrorism thing, believe it or not, was in uh, Africa. Oh, it was? Mm-hmm. Believe it or not. Boko Haram was operating in that area up up in northern, um, right on the border area uh, where I was. But What kind of guns a, were they using? Falls? Falls and G3s. Okay. Lots of fouls, lots of G3s, and they had the Beretta um, Model 12 submachine gun. You remember the one with the vertical foregrip and the the uh, magazine goes through the center? It's oh, open yeah. They had Berettas. Sweet. Uh, they had a licensed copy of it that they made in Nigeria, believe it or not. Um, so, yeah, uh, but the Bel they were Belgian fouls. They were beautiful rifles. That's uh, yeah. what we had on our base primarily. I'd so, love to have one of those. Yeah. What were they were they growing opium poppy or what? What was the what was the drug involved? Uh, it, opium. They were meth. Um, believe it or not, there was all kinds of stuff that was moving through. Um, Lagos was the primary conduit to the rest of the world where it was leaving from. Mm -hmm. um, and the guys we were working with were NDLEA, which is the their version of DEA, um, and that was the. That was their primary focus, was trying to stop it. Um, they have a, a problem there, too. They, they don't call them, um, oh, the narcos, they call them barons over there. 
you know, here you, you, you'd call them something else, obviously, but um, they were very well connected. Um, it was corrupt. There was a lot of corruption there that they were having to deal with to, to deal with it because the, the narcos over there have a lot of money, just like any any narco would, you know, you know, whether they're Medellin or whatever. It's kind of a similar way of doing business. So mm-hmm. they were dealing with that. But the narcotics money would, fe- uh, would feed terrorism. It would feed Boko Haram. So a lot of that money would cycle back to them. Um, so that was one of the reasons there was a presence there to help those guys stop it. Right. Right. So very difficult situation. Very yeah, uh, diverse the, background there. That's one of the more compelling reasons um, that people give against the war on drugs is how how much money it's giving to some really bad people. And um, it's, Yeah. It's a complicated thing. There's another show recently on that. Gosh, what was the name? You guys catch that one that was split between Mexico, the U.S. and Narcos. Uh, Narcos. Narcos. There's a new one. Um, oh, dang. Sorry, I'll, I'll look right. it up and get back to you guys on it in a minute here. Okay. But there's a really good drug trafficking show that covers between huh. Italy. Uh, uh, 999, I think is what it's called. Triple Nine, really? Yeah. Yeah, and it is wild. It's yeah. another subtitle one because it's half it. It's equal parts mafia, U.S. traffickers, and yeah. Um, yeah, and then Mexican cartel guys, and this global trade in 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 drugs for money, for guns, for you know all all wow. the stuff, and it was very interesting. I, I think the, for that particular mafia is the Indrangheta. Um, and yeah, it's it's an interesting show. It was well done. Had a bunch of big names in it. Um, is it. Is it on Netflix? I believe so. Yeah. I'll have to see that. No, no, no. It's not nine nine nine. Sorry, zero 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 spelled out. Okay. Oh yeah, I've seen the. I've seen. I, it. I haven't watched it though. I haven't watched it. I know that um, when they did when they filmed Narcos in Mexico, the producer got killed by oh. the cartel down there. Yeah, like, real life. For real, yeah, he got killed when they were doing the the initial filming when they were doing Narcos Mexico. Did they hold him like for ransom or something, or they just killed him? No, they flat killed him. They <laughs> they were like when they did Pablo Escobar. I, I, oh my I, god! I, I got into that stuff. I read a lot of. I think it's Mark Bowden. He's the guy who did Black Hawk yep. Down and stuff. He did a book called Killing Pablo. And when they were doing over Pablo Escobar, this show got a lot right. I mean, they got some things wrong, but. Um, you know, they compiled it together is what they did. They cobbled a bunch of events yep. and they did one, but um, they got so, so close to the kind of the way things were working. I think that when he got to, got to Mexico, I think they just didn't want any part of it. They wanted to try and deter it from even being shown. Yeah. That's a good deterrent. Yeah. <laughs> Killing Pablo was an extraordinary book. Like, you know, from what I understand, Black Hawk, I loved Black Hawk down the book, but from what yeah. I understand, there's, there's some arguments about its accuracy in certain aspects and um, killing Pablo, I thought was the narrative of it. And yeah. also it's very hard to understand what went wrong with black Hawk down. Cause it's so complex with killing Pablo. It was, I think he had an easier time drawing yeah. the narrative about his life. Right. And, and um, yeah, there's, there's actually, I don't want to mention him cause he, he keeps this anonymous, but as I understand it, there's a firearms instructor in the U.S. that's actually the one that dropped the hammer on Pablo. Yeah, a- that's been a rumor for so long because Delta, uh, yeah, Cat Delta was there, and right. they're getting tired of him 
getting away all the time and they were like yep. screw it and shoot him and there is a perfect temple shot you in have the to guy. tell me uh off air about that yeah you know him i'm i'm almost positive you've met him yeah yeah i think we're thinking of the same person so let's get yeah. to our questions here uh we got a bunch let's roll through these um start off on instagram i gotta have to put my glasses on jeez so small <laughs> so old that's what she said. <laughs> Co Colomayo. C-O-L-O-M-A-I-O. Why Uzi over newer PCC? Is it just for nostalgia or still viable today? Um, I would say... And PCC is pistol caliber carbine for carbine. Uh, those who so they're, they're aren't talking catching about. Up. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the CZs and probably, uh, you know, well, an argument we made for the MPX. This would be a pistol caliber carbine. Yeah, that's true. I'm holding up the uh, Kel-Tec Sub-2000, 9mm. Yeah. This would not be considered a sub-gun, right? This would be considered a pistol no. caliber carbine. It's 16-inch barrel. Yeah, it's pistol caliber carbine. Exactly. Yeah. And this is just a pistol. And the, the way I like to look at anything like this is uh, what are you going to use it for? What's its intent? You know, am I necessarily going to run a match with this? Not really. No. Um, is it a good defensive system? If you needed something that you could make super small and have a lot of rounds for and attach a light to. Be a great answer, truck gun, backpack gun. gun. Yeah, exactly. You know, dealing with rodents or something Hiking, like camping. that. camping. Exactly. Um, you Survival. can still make it. You can put a suppressor on the end of it and make it super quiet. So, um, can hunt squirrel with that small game. Do, exactly. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it. Am I, am I going to run a match with this? Probably not, but have I shot it a bunch and does it do a bunch of other things that I can hide it, stick it in any bag and yeah. get rid of it? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, hence the reason they had the, you know, the different magazine types. So you could make it even more compact. Do they use it currently in uh, some machine guns are a different animal? I would say this too. Let me throw this out. You know, um, some machine guns are a different animal in their usage, insofar as a pistol round for defensive use in general, in all honesty, is not the best for stopping things. Some machine guns made up for the lack of stopping power by delivering a lot of rounds in a very tight area. So I did Quickly. SWAT, yeah. we ran MP5s. And the, you know, the idea there was that the, uh, the nine millimeter rounds wouldn't go through walls. The, it would stop quicker. That's actually not true by the way, but that was what we believed. And that's what we did. Um, you know, pistol rounds are lousy as yeah, submachine guns, full auto fire. The idea is it makes up for that lack of, 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 you know, impact and kinetic energy by delivering a lot of rounds very quickly. So, you know, the Uzi itself in the submachine gun form is good for what it's designed to do. This is good to do. This is good for what it's designed to do. It's a defensive thing. It's a fun thing to shoot. Um, and it's good for all those things you were mentioning, you know, hunting rodents, defensive purposes. But, you know, am I going to, like I said, it's not necessarily what I would compete with. Competing a competition gun's a different animal, though, isn't it? You know, that's, yeah. it's dressed up. It's got a different trigger. It's, it's built to do a certain job. It's a different golf club. For a maybe we group. should also maybe like differentiate sub machine guns versus PCC versus 
um, you know, the other, like, like, um, well, you know, if I may jump in, Marty, you know, I just bought this would be, I guess, a, a PCC. It yeah, is. That's right. Or a P and you get to a PDW, which is, I think PDW, the other one, personal defense. PDW. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, I have, I have two girls and a, a very small statured wife and, um, they do not train pistol stuff. Ex yeah. PPSH is, I know. Man, yeah. Pretty hot gun. PPS 43, uh, baby. Oh, sorry. Got 43. That right. Yeah. PPSH 41 had the wood, but yeah. man, that's, Dude, where'd you? That's nice. Sorry, oh, go ahead. Polish. Yeah. Squirrel. I told you we, ch we chase squirrels here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, for those who are listening, I'm holding up my PPS 43C from uh, Pioneer Arms. That's nice. So, um, you know, I have these very small statured women in the house. And as a defense weapon for them, I got a Ruger PC charger because you could kind of hold on to it pretty good. The downside is it's real heavy. And um, so you know, for what it is and looking at that, that micro or Uzi pro, sorry, you guys are calling it the Uzi, Uzi pro. pro now. Uzi yep. pro. Looking at that Uzi pro, that thing looks awesome for a braceable pistol for, you know, the women in your life or smaller framed people, something that's highly reliable and with a simple manual of arms, it's just delicious. Like there's everything right about that setup. Delicious. I don't think I've ever heard that term used for a uh, for an Uzi. I I'll, like I'll, it. I'll do you one better and go sexual chocolate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. Iron Lord. He says the Uzi can be polarizing and misunderstood. Can we get some facts to fight the myth of it just being a bullet hose? So what are what are some myths that are around the Uzi that we that we want to bust? I think the the biggest myth that I've seen and it, it, and I'm going to refer to the old Uzi like the one we've been talking mostly about the Uzi B, which I wish you would bring that back. Is yeah, I know it's it's a great weapon, um, heavy, but it's great. That thing. Well, with hit. today's technology, you could lighten it up. Oh, you could absolutely. You're right. Um, Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can absolutely hit it 100 yards with that gun as well with the iron sights. The iron sights on that bit were built very well. And when it came to controlling, like burst, I can uh, deliver as many rounds in as tight a pattern with that as I could with my MP5. Now, the MP5 is a little lighter shooting, point blank. has to do with the roller locking block. But that weapon um, that they used at Entebbe, they were making some pretty decent shots with it at the distance. The reason it gets that reputation as being a, a spray machine is I think it's Hollywood where, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's holding it out and just, and of course, you know, the Hollywood holes, you know, there's, there's more holes than rounds being fired, but <laughs> yeah. that's okay. Whatever. It, it looks good. Um, and I think that's where the reputation comes from. So I, I don't think that's, that's true at all. I think it's actually a, a very robust, but it's a very accurate weapon. That's why it stayed in service for so long. Um, you'd be surprised what you could do with it. I have to get video for you guys. I, I have access to an Uzi, an old one, and just run some drills with it. Well, I need to day. come up with you when you do that, and let's okay. Come let's on do up, some buddy. live. Let's do some live videos for our listeners. Live. Hell Instagram, yeah. whatever. I'm down with that, bro. Let's see, Bruner Brunner, nineteen eighty one JPC. 
Can we get a brief comparison of different variants? Which variants are the most sought after and why? And that's something we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about the 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 knockoffs, the variants, copies. So, well, I'll stay within the, the Uzi itself. I think the most sought after one is the Mini Uzi, believe it or not. That they made a um, for a short time, 83 to 86, they imported the Mini Uzi in a pistol version, mm-hmm. uh, a rifle version, excuse me, that had the long ass barrel on it. Oh, Mini Uzi with a 16 inch barrel? <laughs> yeah, it was dumb. It looks stupid, but it defeats the purpose. Yeah. That size platform was perfect. If you had that and if you could get a decent stock on it, you had everybody liked it a little bit better. It was bigger than the micro. It was a little smaller and lighter than the uh, the full size. Um, it's still select fire. It did a really good job. So um, of all the variants, I would say that that is probably the most sought after one. It's just it's a rare bird. It's an extremely rare bird to find. What would you uh, think it, something like that would go for these days? Shoot. If you can find one with the original barrel and all the usual stuff, I'm not even sure. It probably, you know, way it is right now on Gunbroker, probably three grand or something like that, four <laughs> grand. But, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I would ask beyond it immediately, though, um, because it looks dumb with that barrel. And they weren't imported with anything but the 16-inch barrel. So if you just chop mm-hmm. it without the paperwork, they're going to know that it was chopped. So it's yeah. it's one of those things. So some other variants, Umarex Uzi, you familiar mm-hmm. with that one? Um, the twenty-two sure. LR. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They they copied a lot of guns. I think the Uzi was one of the ones they copied. Yeah, they did a twenty-two LR in it. The um, the Croatian Mini Ero Ero submachine. I told gun. you they copied it illegally. Yeah. yeah. So that's an illegal copy there. The um, is it. Maniba, Manibia M9. That one I don't know. I don't it's know a that one. Japanese manufactured machine pistol oh. uh, based on the Uzi submachine gun and produced by the MINEBEA Corporation. Did you know Ruger made a copy of it? Uh, yeah, it was the, what did they call theirs? The MP7? <laughs> no, it wasn't the MP7. I worked at Ruger for a short time after college. And they had the parts for it in the factory where I was. I worked on the, I was a heat treat guy on the pistol side. Um, but they made, if you look up Ruger Uzi, you'll find a version of it that they made. Let's look so that it's, up. Yeah, it's a very, it's another one of those. It was short lived. I don't even know if there's anything out there. MP9 I don't know if- comes up when I do Ruger Uzi. Mm. MP9. Hang on, let me see. If I see can't if there's do- any images shavings hang on a second there's a walther uzi 22 yeah that's not it Uzi. hang on ruger uzi and while you're doing that yeah, there's another variant. there it is oh, yeah ruger it? mp9 that's it that's the copy yeah. of it. so it's the mp9 oh, mp9 that was okay they were they copied the basic design of it and it looked like an uzi it did have the grip safety on it um, and the stock was kind of goofy, but that was the Ruger version of it. They were trying to, it was short lived as far as I could tell. Yeah. And then there's an Italian clone. It's the S O C I M I 
type 821. Hmm. Sakimi, Sakimi type 821, 9x19 millimeter. Hmm. So those are the ones I can find right off. Um, yeah. As far as collectability and sought after, I I don't know. We'll, we'll go with what you said on the... Yeah, the, the, the mini Uzi, if you can mini. find they're hard to get. Uzi. Let's see. And we talked about calibers. The different the calibers. Caliber Uzi, too. That yeah. would be a rare one to find. What it's calibers are Uzis available? That's C. Schaeferopic. Yeah. Rayo Shields, how well do they work suppressed? Did it need heavier springs to run with a can or something like how the MP5 SD were integrally suppressed? And I would love to see an integrally suppressed Uzi, by the way. Yeah, they sort of did that. Hang on. Let me see if I can find it. If you go to iwi.net. Um, small arms and they had, it's sort of internally suppressed, but it's really not, uh, Uzi pro. There you go. And they did it. Let me see if they can find it. Yeah, they're not showing it. Suppressed Uzi pro. That thing was kind of cool. They had one there with a vertical foregrip. Yeah. Uzi pro suppressed. Okay, yeah, if you go to Uzi Pro Suppressed, and you'll see it, uh, the shroud is what I'm talking about. Um, if you pull that up on yours, you'll see it. Let me do it. It's basically that Uzi Pro that I told you about with that round handguard where they, they brought it in. That's a BNT suppressor. It worked with the military ammo. It's really designed, it likes the hotter ammo anyway, so the suppressor really doesn't bother it too much. Um, it favors the hot military ammo, put it to you that way. So you'll see is that it. it. Yep. There it is. That one right there. Okay. So they did that round handguard. They replaced the front of it and you have that round shroud that goes around the BNT suppressor there. That's the one they, they made in Israel that they offer. Gotcha. And it does work well and it's, it runs pretty good suppressed. They, I didn't notice. There's that the raised cheek well you were talking about there too. That's it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that button at the back. You push it; it's kind of in the center there, and boom, it pops up. And you can set it to different heights. Very Depends cool. on what optic you have on top. So that's what makes it kind of badass. All right, next question: What's the difficulty level for building an Uzi from a parts kit compared to building an AK from a parts kit? I have no idea. I've never built an Uzi from a parts kit, so I yeah, I, I can't answer something I haven't done. Put it to you that way. I you only any know what they feedback on that, Brian. Uh, to me, it looks way more doable than an AK, but I've never touched a parts kit. But I've I've been geeking out on them while we're talking here because. I've got, yeah, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in the late 70s, and uh, my first cap gun was that full-size Uzi, and I feel like it is only good and just that I have one as an adult <laughs> select fire. And so uh, Brian will have one. weld one of these up, and we can... I'll, I'll report back at a future episode having... I bet, um, I bet John has done one. I'm positive John's done one. Yeah, John Holton, M13 Industries. 
you guys are all children of the eighties. So I'm a child of the eighties. We're kind of in the same era, to be honest with you. I'm yeah. with you. Absolutely. Um, GI Joe, the three and three quarter inch GI Joes, the snake eyes came with the Uzi. Remember that? Shit. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Snake eyes with the Uzi was badass. Um, Rayo shields. No, I just, I just asked that it was the suppressor one. Uh, CS Schaefer, uh, OPK again. What parts are American made on the Uzi to make it 922R compliant? Oh, no, Marty, do you know that? Yeah, I was, I was going to see if we could put Marty on the spot on that one, but uh, Tom was too charitable. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's a pistol. This is all made there. You don't need. 922R parts for this. Well, for the uh, I guess the old ones is what they're talking about, the older ones that were imported. No, there was no 922R parts. That's why they had to stop bringing them in after 86. That's why you can't get those in anymore. They were rifles, too, by the way. They were brought in as rifles. As rifles. Reagan, Reagan imposed a ban, uh, and the Uzi ended up on there, the Galil, the old Galil, um, that you see in movies like Heat. That got cut too so the the galil we have now has u.s parts in it reagan compliant and uzi um, saved his life and he wants to ban him mm-hmm. that's exactly it well i mean it was surprising but he did that he probably uh, did it then, before he was uh yeah assassination he did it before attempt. he was assassinated correct or attempted, attempted. Assassinated. but yeah this is all it's a pistol so it falls under the category of like even a masada pistol or a jericho it's all made in Israel. This is not something we put any U.S. parts in. Let's see. So Wigginsworth, how is the Uzi related to an AK? It's a gun. Shoots bullets. Not really. Well, they're, related. Uh, <laughs> they're not really. Yeah. You know, I think it's they're they're thinking of his uh, your comment about how it's AK like in its simplicity. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that's where there was confusion there. Could be. It, it, it has to do with every weapon system that's ever been made. The Tavor is no exception, has a philosophy behind it. There was, um, they're looking at what they need to do, who they're training, who they're, uh, how they're fielding it, where it's being used. The AK had a very specific purpose to it. The Uzi had a very specific purpose to it. It's very, it, it was uh, simple. You know, they had the soldiers' welfare in mind, you know, mm -hmm. with, with the gun as well. And I think that's where he's getting confused. And I, I understand your point. Simple, purpose-driven works is, yeah. is where you were going with the AK. Well, Breathe. it's it's the you AK. The show's called the AK Corner, too. So, that's true. <laughs> But we do, on. we do, again, we chase squirrels. And um, even though, you know, we, we talked about the, the Galil last year, uh, it is more like the AK than the, the Uzi, definitely. But anyway, uh, next well, question. The, no, go sorry, ahead. I'm going to talk over you one more time, Marty. But the Please. other thing that's a really big deal that is like simplicity, but not as I'm looking at the parts kits, there the parts count on this gun is so freaking low. You know, it's like 20 parts or something. And if you just start to look at something like a FAL or an MP5, like – the Germans and the Belgians do not mind adding extra parts. They'll put in three screws if one would do the job. <laughs> and um, so, you know, just watching Tom field strip this thing, it's like two moves and you got the 
the gun off or or the the top cover off. You got the barrel out with just one nut. And I was never sure on how it was held in, but I do now know now because of the the clicky sound it makes is exactly the same as on a uh, on a pump shotgun where there's the little detent yeah. and castellations in the in the in the in the barrel nut there. Yeah, it's and, specifically that little guy right there. Yeah, and so yeah. there's just nothing to these things, and that's that's genius. Yeah, cool little detent there. So there's a lot of um, kindred spirit stuff going on yeah i i got your point right away i mm-hmm. i kind of agree i i agree with you yeah simplicity there's your there's your likeness rachel b 33 uh excited for this and i think she shoots an uzi in competition or she shot, shot one recently in competition good awesome according to rayo shields there so um yeah, I'd like to hear about your competition shooting there, Rachel, with your Uzi. Heck yeah. Uh, giddy up. What is IWI's favorite gun mod that they thought was so cool they added to their production guns? Gun mod. Well, if you look at the new Galil, <laughs> <laughs> out of pre floated aluminum rail. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, let me ask you on the pro. What materials are you using on that? Is it is it mainly composite? So the only thing that they made composite was the lower piece. So this is all polymer down here, and that's what lightened it up. One of the cheap, the number one complaint about the Uzi um, was uh, there's a couple. A lot of people don't like the the grip safety on it, but um, was the weight. So they had to lighten it somehow, and that's where they they put this polymer piece right here, which which killed a lot of the weight in the gun very quickly. So it gets it around four and a half pounds or something like that. I think the original one was like seven and a half or almost eight pounds. It, with the wood stock, I think it was almost nine. Um, but um, that's it's kind of a mixture of, of those things. And the stock that you saw on the Full Auto Pro, the one you had up on the website, um, that one is a uh, polymer composite too because they're trying to lighten the gun as much as they can. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, so. I think that's that's good. Um, okay. There was one on here. I can't uh, – oh, here it is. Uh, Cobra Commander, speaking of G.I. Joe. <laughs> uh, how dependable was the Uzi? Was it prone to any kind of malfunctions? And I've heard of some some malfunction issues that user-created, basically. They're user-created, typically. Yeah. And, it, and it had everything to do with sand getting in the action. If you got sand in it, enough sand in it, it just wasn't going to work anymore. But the one thing you could do to get it functioning again is you took the top cover off, dumped the sand out, put it back together again, and then it would it would really drive on. There was another ism of it, which was kind of unique. In semi-auto, if the gun was getting worn down, if it was getting old, it would trip twos occasionally. That mm-hmm. that was a known thing as well. Instead of firing one shot, it would brrrr. But, you know, from the standpoint of, well, I'm shooting at him, if I happen to hit him with two rounds as opposed to one, I guess that's okay too, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> It was a problem, but it wasn't a problem. Um, but that was if they were getting real worn out. Yeah. Now, I've also heard issues with the the grip safety. Yeah. 
that not uh, being able to deactivate it. Well, not only that, but if they didn't, if it wasn't pressed in all the way, yeah, then you it's would the get malfunctions from that as well. Well, that's a user and food induced one, right? That, right. Yeah, that that's what I was talking about before. The 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 weight was the first one. The grip safety was the other. So this one, I'm gonna cycle it. I'm on fire right now. You know, obviously, if I pull the trigger without depressing the grip safety, it won't go off. I push it in that far. There, it'll go off. But if you if you just pushed it in a little bit, it's not going off. I got to really jam it all the way down to get it to work. And that was a, a problem. There were even, I heard reports of this. I'm not sure how true this is, but guys that sort of taped it down, they were like, we don't even want to mess with it. We're just going to we'll crank in on it and call it good. So that was a common thing to solve that problem. Um, but again, one of the reasons they had it on there was the safety on the original Uzi and even on the, uh, the older, uh, mini Uzi was not the easiest to hit. Can you see that? Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I was looking at questions here. Yeah, that looks okay. good. Yep. All right. So this one wasn't always easy to hit. So one of the methods of just putting the weapon back on safe was you just loosened up your grip and the weapon wouldn't fire again. Then you need to shoot. You just grab it and you would shoot. So, that was a method. They carried it, like I said, safety off, bolt down. Yeah. And they would charge it and then engage. You know, that kept sand out of the gun. And it was... I watched a, a video with Larry Vickers. And uh, he was yeah. he was like, yeah. tape it. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 did what, <laughs> he did what some of them did. He would tape it down and, and yeah. eliminate it as a problem. That's just, exactly right. Yeah, just tape it and then you got to worry about it. Oh, yep. Kind of deal. All right, let's go to let's go to Facebook now, and uh, we've got giveaways to do too. And our our winners are going to come from all you leadheads that have posted comments to um, to the post on Facebook and Instagram that I did. So that's how you win on this show. We've got Seal One's going to be giving away one of their complete gun care kits from Seal One. Going to be doing uh, giving away one of those. We're going to be giving away a dump tray. And it'll have the AK corner on it. This isn't the AK corner one, but it'll be a dump tray from Mission First Tactical. It'll have the uh, Talking Lead AK corner logo, as you can see on my my shirt here. Nice. I got cookie crumbs all over it. I've been eating sur sur nutrient survival cookies. Uh, and then IWI, Tom, is going to be giving away two shirts and some stickers to two lucky leadheads. So, Absolutely. Let's go to Facebook here and let's read this one. Damon Geisler, am I remembering wrong or did Uzi make a closed bolt auto for the Secret Service? Also, how many 41AE guns were made and imported into America? I don't I'm not know. sure on the 41AE. And as far as the Secret Service, I thought, and I could be mistaken, they were all regular open bolt guns, like what you saw with Reagan. That was an open bolt. Uzi, as far as I know. Yeah. But there were some, didn't they make some closed bolt? They made closed bolt, but they were the semi-automatic rifles that were sent to the country. That's the only closed bolt Uzis that I am personally had my hands on, owned, and familiar with. Uh, kind of like this is closed bolt. Mm -hmm. It was a very similar system that they did for the Uzi with the 16-inch barrel, because they had to. ATF, you can't have an open bolt semi-auto weapon. 
in the U.S. So they made a closed bolt version that was a civilian version of the gun, if that makes sense. So th- you'll like this one because you're a, a history buff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin Whalen asked, what important role in history did the Uzi play an import- important part in? I am not too familiar with the Uzi, so looking to get some education on this one. Okay, so um, like I said, it's been used in almost every major campaign since uh, 1956 in particular, Suez. They were issued initially just to rear echelon guys, but it started working its way forward. Uh, the Entebbe raid in 76, it was used there extensively. Sariat uh, Medkal, which is their version of Delta, their counter-terrorist unit, that was the, one of their primary main weapon systems. Um, terrorists, PLO, used them quite a bit on a lot of their operations. I hate to say it, the bad guys did too. Um, obviously, in history, you saw, you showed one, Reagan, you know, it being present. For our there. history, yeah, I mean, that's kind of our one of history. the biggest... It's one of the bigger ones, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's been used in multiple things throughout the world, and, uh, and just about every major Israeli conflict there is, up to, I would say, uh, I'm not sure if they had it in Lebanon '79. They probably did. I think they did. So yeah, just to, I've got a little list here: service history, mm-hmm. 1954 to present. In mm-hmm. the 50s, it was used in the Suez Crisis. Suez, yep. The 60s Portuguese colonial war, the Six-Day War, the Vietnam War, and the War of Attrition. Mm -hmm. The 70s Yom Kippur. Yep, 73. Uh, Internal conflict in Peru. The Angolian Civil War. And the Rhodesian Bush War. Oh, yeah. In the 70s. So the 80s, we've got a lot here. The Salvadorian Civil War, the Falklands. Uh, Sri Lanka, invasion of Grenada, the Lebanese Civil War, 1982 Lebanon War, South yeah. Africa Border War, which you said you spent some time in in Africa. Yeah, West Africa. Not um, south. Yeah, not south. In the um, 90s, you got the Yugoslav Wars, Somalia Civil War, Sierra, Sierra Leone Civil War, um, First Congo War in the 2000s, Darfur, the Mexican drug war, um, yeah. Ivorian civil war, first Ivorian civil war, and then 2010s, the Syrian civil war. That's just some that get yeah. listed here. But the most, you know, one of the more famous ones was, uh, like I said, uh, almost every special operations thing they ever did against the PLO or in. And Tebby, I mean, I remember watching the movie with uh, Richard Dreyfus. They made one back in the oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, late 70s. Close Encounters about, of the Third Kind, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. They also had uh, 22 Beretta pistols they used in that thing, too. They were trying to take out the, uh, what do you call it, the um, sentries. They drove up in a Mercedes. It looked like it belonged to um, Idi Amin. And mm-hmm. that's how they were going to get close to the sentries and take them out. Well, they missed. <laughs> with the 22 Beretta pistols they had. And it was, blah, and it started just, they went loud. <laughs> so, yeah, and it went all to hell from there. So There's several questions about kits. Apparently our lead heads, there's a lot of hands-on uh, listeners here. They're wanting to build one. Um, we don't know a lot about the, the kit, so I don't, I don't think we're going to 
Where are you seeing those. the kits? Are they on Numrich or where are you seeing them? Uh, everybody's out of stock that in the normal places, but Gunbroker has a bunch of kits that are fully kitted out. It looks like you know with a U.S. barrel and and eighty uh, percent receiver. Some of them welded up um, for around six hundred raw parts kit, something like three hundred, something like oh, that wow. for a mill. So just you know, uh, my first stop was at IWI for the pro. Uh, and then when I saw you couldn't get a big one, I'm like, I need that big one as well. I want one of these little guys. I want guys. the big one. I want the but, big one. Um, That's what she just says. for nostalgia, not out of practicality. <laughs> um, but yeah, somewhere at three to 600 from the looks of it. So yeah, that's, that's one of the upsides of like kits for AKs have pretty much dried up. And so I have friends who were branching out and doing set me's and, <laughs> um, you know, what are they get their hands on? Right. Yeah, whatever they can. Well, but they're dirt cheap. Like it's crazy how cheap they are compared oh, wow. to compared to AK kits. At the, like a, I like a uh, set me. I like set me's. Yeah, and uh, like but those. like a seventy four kit is now like eighteen hundred to get into, and a forty seven kit, if you can't even really find any right now, but they're you know six hundred to two grand depending on what you're looking for. Mike Mike uh, Trejas Jr. wants to know are reweld kits legal? If if they were um if they were legally demilled and then get rewelded um and you don't weld it into a machine gun, I'm speaking as a private citizen, you know, mm -hmm. as long as you're following other laws, then yeah, you can totally do that. But you got to be real careful about about not manufacturing machine guns, and the ATF has different rules for different guns. These would be and, great questions for for John at M thirteen. Yeah, we ought to do get a, him back on. Yeah, yeah, and and I'd like to yeah get one of these kits welded up myself and, and have the you know there's all these questions you have before you have some questions before you do a thing, but then if you struggle bus your way through. Um, and then you've got a bajillion intelligent questions. And so I'll, uh, on behalf of Leadheads, I'll try and take some good notes as I'm putting this one together. And <laughs> and uh, then we can ask the pros. Take a hit for us. Yeah, there it is. So next question. This probably be our last one. We need to start wrapping this up. Um, Austin, not Austin. Um, Jonathan Gallup, giddy up. What's next for IWI? Question mark. I heard... About the next gen Galil Ace, anything else in development? Good question. There's lots of things in development, and if you ask almost any manufacturer, are they working on other things? The answer will always be probably. <laughs> yes, we are. But um, the Ace right now, the Ace Two, the one that we just released, the one you can look forward to is the uh, the 13-inch version. I know you guys are aware that that's coming out, and that's going to be pretty badass, to be honest with you. That's the one I'm really looking forward to. I like the rifle. I like the 8.3-inch gun in 7.62 in particular. That's what I have is the 7.62. Um, but, you know, I don't think you can be in this, in this uh, particular job and just rest on your laurels and not change anything. And you notice that we have – you know, the Tavor became the X95. The Galil in the 80s isn't what the Galil Ace. It is what the Galil Ace is, but it isn't what the Galil Ace is. And the Galil Ace just upgraded yet again. So, you know, as we get user input, 
uh, from different people. We take that input and you can tell on the ACE2 that we, we took the suggestions and the things that people were doing to the gun and we implemented damn near every one of them into that rifle, into that pistol to make it what it is now. So there's lots just made of- a post on Instagram, I think it was today, of, of Tavor. When you're Tavor's, mm-hmm. it was beautiful. I love the Tavor. Oh, yeah. I Well, Manicore just did this uh, round rail for it that I really like. One, <laughs> this is not Uzi, it's Tavor. But Manicore did the Optimus rail, which is a round rail. Israel makes a round rail for the Tavor People in the U.S. are crazy for it, and we don't import it. There's a few reasons for that, but one of the main ones is you can't just do the the round rail. You have to do the top rail. It has to be different. There's a plate that goes on the front that you have to get and put on. It becomes a bit of a nightmare. Well, Manicore came out with this Optimus rail, and um, I actually have one. Oh, and nice. it, it, Yeah. You want me to get it? Yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> I do. We yes. love gun porn here, <laughs> Okay. I'm going to ask him to talk about the, uh, the Masada pistol also that they make. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I want to, I want to know a little bit about that too. Um, but while he's getting that, um, be getting our random number generator ready, Brian, for, For for our, uh, winners here. We're going to start picking some winners. Oh yeah. Looky here. Looky here. Let me do a little... Oh, it's Sharon. Okay. Go ahead. Do your your random generator. We'll come back to this. No, no. We want to see this. Okay. I just just want him to get it ready. (laughs) So it's it's the round rail as opposed to the square pick rail that was on there. And we had the 16-inch barrel, and and I've actually talked to Sven about this. He was in my armors class, so... Uh He's been on the show a couple of times, too. Oh, yeah. He's he's a good guy. I like Sven. He's a smart dude. So, yeah, very. But Israel had a round rail, like I was telling you, and the suppressor went inside of it. So we there was lots of discussions about this. Now, obviously, he's the he's the manufacturer of this, and he, he really did a good job on it. But on my SBR, the one I have for work that I just sent out to uh, Arizona, I got I to go to Arizona this weekend. Um, the suppressor fits right about here, and it's internal. Oh, nice. So it's a 13-inch barrel, and it goes here, and then... It sticks out about as long as this flash suppressor is, but the so barrel it shrouds flash, over the barrel. It shrouds over the can. That's and awesome. I screw the can on; it's badass. But what this That's does awesome. is it allows me, and this was something I did on my. I had a, a rail that I put together that he saw, and I put the flashlight. I like flashlights. If I have a white light at the at the twelve o'clock, um, the reason for that is if you put a suppressor on the front of it, and you have the light on the bottom or on the side you get shadowing on your threat. So you can't necessarily see what's happening. Whereas you put it at 12 o'clock, it takes care of that. But I also run night vision, so it doesn't get in the way of my night vision. So I can I can run my thumb forward, you know, and activate the light. And then I just bring my thumb down and I can activate laser. And, and you know, it, it, the switchology of it is very concise nice. and it fit all right in line. Um, but it also, I. You guys probably do the same thing. I like to run my arm a little further out, and yep. the, um, the regular X95 rail kind of stopped here about almost an inch and a half shorter than where I would have liked it. Brian's so arms this- are three times as long as ours are. Yeah. <laughs> Brian's a yeah. big dude. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. that, that was a, a big part of the design of 
this rifle back here, that oh, hand part yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is, is quite long. That's a 14 and a half inch barrel. And yeah, I really like being able to do the Costa as it is often referred to. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't quite Costa. I, well, that's true. I don't I do a this. Bit more natural. But, yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. yeah. I built a, a 7.62 by 3.9, Brian. Nice. Hey, hey, Marty. Hey. Hey, Marty. Hey. Go fuck yourself. Well, you know why I did it? Okay, tell me. Because I want to show that your AK can outshoot this. Oh, okay. Okay, I'll take it. Okay. I'll take that. You want to take it's that actually, back? You want to take that back now? It's actually a beautiful gun. That's the yeah. only reason I built it. It's because <laughs> I'm going to pit it against the ODS 1775. Oh, I'll take that bet all day long. Yeah. Yeah. I knew you Tom, would. That's another, you know, there's this myth about AKs not being accurate, and we've never shipped a gun that shoots over 2 MOA with commie ammo. And, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how those myths <laughs> arise. Could, go fuck so. yourself. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Let's oh, uh, let's pick some winners now. Let's, let's ingratiate our listeners with some of these prizes. And the first prize we're going to give away is the dump tray. So, Tom. Yes, sir. I don't know how many we've got here. We've got a bunch. Pick a number between one and, let's say, 100. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 76. 76. All right. As in 1776. Right? I like that. I like that. I'll start on Instagram, and I'm going to count down. I had to go big. Sorry, you want me to go with a small yeah. one? <laughs> nope. No, I, I like the torture of Marty that you've, you've got. <laughs> <laughs> so there are, I'll just look, because it tells me how many comments there are on Instagram. So I don't have to count them. While Marty's doing that, uh, Keep talking, I saw a yeah. comment from uh, Boom Dog Saint, who is uh, That's Art. Art the yeah, the manager of uh, and and one of the partners, I believe, in Royal Range, and uh, they are a new uh, distributor for Occam Defense. So I don't know if if the ones we sent over are all sent out, but I wanted to thank them for becoming a dealer. And um, yeah, if you absolutely got to have one of our guns right here and now, um, give them a ring. Um, lead times are are uh, under four weeks right now, and we have parts we are actively building. So, if you'd like one, you can buy buy from Art and have it now, or uh, you can come to us for for something custom if the, if they can't help you out. But they're really good people, um, local to Nashville, and yeah, very happy to have them on board. Are you down in Nashville? I didn't even know where you are at. So oh, yeah, no, Nashville, I baby. I come down there occasionally. I have to look you up when I get down there. You better. I go to Nunnally. There's a range facility down there. Oh, we'll get you hooked up at Royal Range. Okay. Uh, so it is. Say what number did you say? Seventy six. Seventy six. Bruner nineteen eighty one JPCE. So I don't know. Let's see if it's got his real name on here. Andy Bruner. You are the winner for the uh, Talking Lead AK Corner dump tray. 
Brunner1981JPCE, Andy Brunner. Shoot me an email, talkingletgmail.com, with your uh, contact information, shipping address, and what you won, because I'm not going to remember. So put that in the email, too. All right, next prize, we're going to do the SEAL 1 uh, Complete Gun Care Kit. SEAL 1, CLP for all your gun cleaning needs, protection, clean, lubricates, it does it all. Got several different delivery methods for their product. Got the uh, paste, got the liquid, you got the aerosol, they even got the pre-soaked wipes um, on there. So who's going to win this? Let's do a random number generator, Brian. Do one Ready. between one and uh, 60. Brian. 51. 30. Three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. What'd you say? Fifty-one. Fifty-one is C.S. Schaefer Opic. Chris Schaefer looks like. Chris Schaefer, you have won the Seal One. Complete gun care package as all my shit falls down. Uh, shoot me an email, talkingletgmail.com. Let me know that you won this. And uh, give me your shipping address, and we'll send that over to Dwight. He'll get that out to you. So now we got two T-shirts and stickers packaged yeah, yeah. to give away. Yep, yep. Two. All right, so what I want you to do, Tom, is I want you to go through Facebook. Uh, actually, go through Instagram. You, you got access to Instagram? I do. And go to that post that I did. It's the one of my hero shot of me with the Uzi. Hang on. It looks like I'm constipated. Hang on. Let me find it. (laughs) And I want you to go through there, and I want you to pick your favorite question. And that's who the winner's going to be. Talking lead. Shot with the Uzi. Hang on a second. I got a, a hat on, a Charlie Mike Precision hat, a yep, gray yep. blue sleeve shirt, and I'm holding my belly like I got a fart. <laughs> I am on it. Um, Hang on. I got you. Okay. So you want me to look at your comments there underneath? 27 of them. Yeah. Find, find your favorite question there. That's who's going to win one of your shirts and sticker packages. And the next one, I'm going to have you go to Facebook. That's probably going to be even more challenging for you to find. <laughs> Let's go with, what's the difference between the river and the MP9? That was on there, too. Um, how about Tandem Dooley? Tandem T-A-M. Dooley. Tandem Dooley. Nick like Dooley. Nicky. Nicky, Nicky, Nick. Yep. He's got, he's got a deep voice. Deeper than that. I can't even get as deep as he gets. He's good deal. So there you go. Uh, Tandem Dooley. Talkingletgmail.com. Shirt size. He, he's going to need like a 2X or something. He's a big boy. Probably 3X. We may have that. Um, And uh, we'll get your shirt and stickers to you. Okay. All right. Do you have access to Facebook? I'm on the Facebook right now. I see all the comments that are there. Same post. Yeah. Pick your, pick your favorite. 
Um, I'm going to go with, how about uh, Jay Allen? Jay who? Jay Allen. Jay Allen. Jay Allen. Okay, mm-hmm. there it is. Jay. Two-part question. Yep. Talk about what is the preferred suppressor for the Uzi, which we talked a little bit about that, and what calibers are offered in the Uzi. We did we did that one too. So good question. Yep. Jay Allen, talkinglegmail.com. Tell me what you want. Give me your shirt size. And uh, I'll send that all over to Tom and he's gonna get those shirts to you guys. Yes, I will. We'll get them out to you. Very cool, very cool. So <laughs> is there anything that you can think of, Tom, that we were reluctant to to talk about that we maybe should let our lead our leadheads know about. We want to get them the full education here. You are not a reluctant lot at all. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> everything that could come out did come out. So I think so. We talked. We I'm, talked I'm about a lot. Good. I think we hit it pretty good. Did you want the Masada or not? I did. I did pull one out. Oh yes, I want to talk about the. I was going to ask you about that. So we, you know, we were there was a question about you know what do you guys got coming out and whatnot. We haven't really talked about the Masada with you guys. So talk about your pistol, the the Masada. So it's uh, another striker fire pistol, right? So just kidding. It's uh, our version of it. <laughs> it is completely ambidextrous with the magazine release button and and slide stop and everything else. The interesting thing that I like about it is that the optics screw directly into the slide and we spent a lot of time actually uh beating up four different optics for about three thousand rounds or so and i i was not the only guy but i was one of the guys i was racking it off of uh ballistic shield and tables and all kinds of stuff and uh it does a very good job of holding zero with the optics and it sits low enough the plate system works extremely well i like that we went with a sig cut um dovetail front and rear as the First thing most people are going to do is they're going to yank that off. Yeah. The sights off. They're going to put on something. So to have a proprietary dovetail is it's just kind of dumb. Um, uh, the, the trigger on it, it's got a longer reset than a Glock. It's a little bit longer by 0.15. My Glock is roughly about 0.10. The thing that makes it... Uh, Hold it a little higher. There yeah. Disassembling. The thing that makes it kind of interesting is... You know that it has, you know, this ability to to pop the the frame out. Oh, you take the whole trigger assembly and frame out. Yeah, it's a serialized part right there. That is the gun ah, right there. Okay. So, you know, it's uh, you know, you show that and people go, huh, that's that's kind of interesting. It's like it's modular. And how's the guys, trigger? Uh, like. Like Sig, you know, Sig does that on one of the, I don't know if it's the 365 or whatever it's called, but they sell multiple um, grips and polymer bodies, whatever you want to call that thing. Yeah. Are you guys doing that with multiple sizes where you can convert from a, you know, a compact to a subcompact or whatever, or different grip, you know, size for like big gorilla hands versus small female hands, that kind of thing? Grip-wise, there's three different grips for it. This is the medium. It's got a small and it's got a large. So that, you you know, you wouldn't need to worry about that part of it. Um, but the fact that it can do that kind of, you know, begs the question like you're saying. And um, maybe at some point in time that will happen. But for now, 
this is the pistol itself. There's there's no difference on it. Now you saw overseas they have, and in Canada, they have colors. So the idea was also you could change the color of the frame out and go with a green or a, a tan, but we don't have that. Um, the U.S. got black. And uh, the one thing that makes this gun pretty interesting, though, is the price of it, you know, full retail is 480 So you'll find it for four. That's awesome. Yeah, I know, for all this. Um, and it's I'll be honest with you, also, the uh, magazines, we did a pretty good job on that. There's a bunch of aftermarket on the mags. They're very similar to um, Smith & Wesson magazine, 17 round. And there's already extended uh, base plates for it. The Taylor Freelance, uh, X-Tech Tactical makes one for the Smith & Wesson. It drops right onto our magazine. It works. Does the Smith & Wesson mag work in that? No. It, it'll fit in, but it won't lock because our locking system is different. Gotcha. It's the same angle and everything else. And I think, I'll be honest with you, I think that's the reason I, I enjoy shooting this so much. I. I had to carry a Glock professionally for years. I carried it overseas for years, and I'm not bagging on the Glock. There's a lot of Glock folks out there. Um, I never was excited about the grip angle. I like a more upright grip angle. That's just me. And now that I don't have to carry it, I can carry whatever I want. I kind of preferred the more upright angle. So before we came out with the Masada, um, it was more of a Smith & Wesson type gun that I liked, or a SIG, uh, like the 320 is, is a pretty good grip angle. The Masada kind of is on that same path. It's extremely comfortable, and I just I this one has only about nine thousand rounds through it, or eight thousand. The one I only use work, <laughs> well, yeah. Only. The, the one I use at work was one of our test guns. We got to ten thousand with it without cleaning it, and uh, I've cleaned it since then, obviously. But it's got about fourteen thousand rounds through it, and it's it's running like a top. So nice. I'm pretty happy. Pretty happy with the gun. Still it, got the good good barreling and everything, the rifling on it. Oh yeah, no, no, that that part's fine. I I was at where was I last with it? It wasn't Georgia. Might have been ten. It might have been Tennessee. I, I had it down there, and we were whacking and hitting a plate at hundred yards with the red dot on it, and Sweet. no big deal. Yeah, it's a good shooting pistol. Yeah, I so, need one of those in my life. Definitely. Well, we need to. We'll talk offline, okay. and uh, or yeah. you talk to Jeremy offline as well. There's always that. <laughs> but it's uh let's you know, talk to it, you <laughs> well i'm here right you're there the you're there very nice so, so yeah i've been i've been uh interested to to talk about that and of course you guys have uh, a lot of other offerings i mean we're talking about the tavor you've got the uh, shotgun tavor now is it the ts12 ts12 yeah uh you're in the the ar market with the zion 15 now i got one of those here too it's uh, actually it's a really cool system. I enjoy it. Uh, we, yeah, that's another thing I want to talk about too. Definitely. Uh, yep. And then, and of course, the Jericho. We had mentioned the Jericho earlier for something that came up, but uh, we were talking about different calibers that the Jericho came in. Okay. Yeah. And you guys are doing the the Jericho enhanced. Now compare that with the Masada. Nothing like it. This it's, is probably uh, a whole other show. I mean, we should probably just do a whole other show with this, but. <laughs> That's it. Really is. It's it's a whole different. Animal. You guys have so much um, to yeah, talk do. about. So Tavor seven three zero eight. We have the you know obviously the uh, um, the the newer Galil. That's that's a show unto itself. A little bit talking about the history of the Galil and the Galil now, because that's that's a storied history as well. When but, did the uh, two come out? Recent last week. Okay. Officially. So yeah, definitely we need to talk about that too. So we've got a lot to talk. We're just gonna have you guys back on, 
and we'll have you on the regular show and we'll just talk about all all your uh, your new offerings and everything because uh, i mean we're we're uh we're doing another rogan show here so <laughs> we need to wrap this one up definitely Um, i I can bring in some of the fun stuff too like if you get into the x95 we can talk about the full auto variants and all the different kinds and absolutely we want to do that we even have access to belt feds just saying nice very good what so leadheads thank you so much for all your participation all the questions uh that you sent in for tom at uh, iwi here hopefully we answered them off we didn't shoot me an email uh, talkinglet@gmail.com. If you've got some unanswered questions uh, that we can help you out with, be happy to forward those on. Or if I can't answer them, which I probably can't, um, we'll, we'll definitely do that. And of course, all those questions that you guys had that would be better fit for uh, John over at M13, we'll definitely get him back on again, Brian, and um, do a whole another show on on that kind of stuff. Heck yeah! Uh, but big thanks to all our sponsors. IWIUS, go check them out on their website, their social meets, give them a big like. And of course, the, the best way that you can show how much you appreciate them is go buy their products if they're available. If you can find them. <laughs> it's, We're trying, believe me. Well, I mean, everybody is. It's it's just the nature yeah. of the world right now. It's, it is. It's, it's a different animal. Uh, and of course, Occam Defense Solutions, Brian over at Occam Defense Solutions, 1775. Uh, love my ODS. I uh, took it out this past weekend. Me and Drew went out, uh, went camping, and uh, uh, took it out along with some other things. Uh, posted. Did you see those posts I did with the uh, is 106-year-old Mosin Nagant that I was shooting? Holy cow. I missed that. Yeah, I've uh, got to shoot. Oh, wait. No, I think you. I did see it. And the comment was something like, very serviceable, you know, still shoots great after 106 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you- still accurate. I was fucking nailing the target. I mean, we didn't go very far. We were like 75 or something like that. But that, and then we did a, an SVT. Had an SVT out there that was 1940s SVT. Wow. Still nice. running Still running great. Um <laughs> So we had a good time. We took the the ODS 1775 out, of course. You know, I, I got to take it out every time I go and and pop rounds with it. We had a good time. Um, nice. Talk about talk about everything you guys got going on. Well, we're uh, shipping it as fast as we can build it. We're shipping rifles, um, our Merc handguard. Um, let's see, we have a brand new product about to drop. Um, probably next episode, we'll be able to talk about that one. Um, we have that off here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there's something hiding in this gun that, um, Uh is a prototype about to be released. Um, and, uh, let's see. Don't you feel left out, Tom? We're, we're holding up all our. No, you're good. You need to join the club, brother. ODS. (laughs) You want me to hold something up? Hang on. (laughs) No, you need an ODS 1775. I'm going to go back to this guy right here. There you go. Rub it in. A full pop. Of all the cool stuff that you've showed us today, you got to lift the bull pup up. I was trying to be polite before, but it just slipped out this time. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, I love bull pups. So, uh, yeah, we're making, we've got a seven and a half, an eight, and a nine inch brace out. I'm actually machining those tonight after we get off the air. And, um, Let's see, our hex folding stock 
Um, we just shipped a pile of those. Uh, we're getting hinges from SIG as fast as they can get them to us. That is the big bottleneck with stocks right now, both with us and JMAC has run into the same issue. Um, but yeah, we're we're doing well here despite the, the conditions and inflation that everybody is now very aware of um, and grateful for everybody's support and patience with us. Oh, and Occam Lube, that's right. Um, <laughs> hint, hint. We, We've relaunched Occam Lube as its own as its own company. My friend Buell Collins, formerly of Fioki Fioki Marketing, um, is running that, and uh, we are shipping the DIY kits now. And pre-filled syringes are going to be back online somewhere. They're stuck in customs at the moment. We have to get a few parts made outside of the U.S. And um, so when those get in and get out of deadlock in in uh, at the port, we'll be shipping pre-filled white, red, and black grease in those. Nice. Yep. Seal one. Make sure you go to seal1.net. Use the code LEADHEAD. You're going to get 25% off any of their products there at Seal One. This is a great product, especially if you want to prevent corrosion. Uh, so it works not only for your guns, but uh, anything, your knives, your marine equipment, anything. You can put it on that you want to prevent corrosion. This stuff is great. CLP, it's uh, all bio-based. So try it out. You're going to like it. And it smells good, too. You can put it on as a little aftershave. you got a tender date or something. Makes, <laughs> makes you smell good. And, <laughs> and as good a product as it is, the owners are better people. And, uh, you know, they're, they're Americans. They're Americans, they're, they're retired veterans, uh, former SEALs, and so uh, good. it's a good thing to go and even if you love what lube you have, um, be awesome if you went and tried out some SEAL one and helped out a fellow American. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, Mission First Tactical, uh, you can get, and this one's in a bag, I don't know if you can see it or not, but they got their 30-round uh, magazines. They've got the window magazines now. This one's not a window magazine. But you can get your logos or you can get any kind of art you want to put on there. They can ink inject it in there. Uh, it'd be cool. They've got a CS spray, um, pepper spray. They've got the dump trays that we've got, the tactical wallets. You've seen all that. Mission First Tactical, use code. I believe it's Leadhead, and you get 20% off at Mission First Tactical. Uh, so go show them some love. We're going to have some special edition stuff for nra coming up if they have it uh since they just got busted what for bankruptcy or something i don't know if they're going to have nra or not they're not getting bankruptcy they're they're not they don't they're get to file for, bankruptcy. they don't get to file for bankruptcy so i guess they need the money from the convention so they they definitely should have the convention <laughs> we're going so we'll see you there we're going to be there okay we're going to be set up at caltech's booth so oh, are. we're okay. going to have the lead quarters. The official lead quarters is going to be Caltech uh, this year in Houston at the NRA convention. So we'll yep. see see you there. If you lead heads are going to be able to make it out there, make sure you come by the Caltech booth and say, hey, um, there's no telling what all we're going to have. we got a lot of things lined up that we're going to have for giveaways. So some stuff with Mission First Tactical, Seal One. Uh, and then Factory 47, you want one of these awesome AK Corner T-shirts, hoodies um or the mugs we've got the mugs also with our logo uh the shirts the hoodies everything has this on the back of them just like the mug so you get the um 
What are those? The uh, factory logos? The AK factory logos? On there? Uh, another, uh, another veteran, another good American, real patriot, a great artist, and um, he's becoming quite the expert welder at, at re-welding old guns. So, uh, yeah, nice. quite a renaissance man and a really good person. Yeah, James over at Factory 47. Use the code LEADHEAD. And you're going to get 10% off at Factory 47. Uh, we would like it if you would buy our AK Corner stuff, but he's got so much awesome stuff there, I'm not going to hold it against you if you decide to uh, add several more things to your cart. Uh, factory47.com. Uh, and then we've got all kinds of other discount codes. Make sure you listen to uh, our regular show, and I'll have them on the video. I like scrolling stuff on the video that I can add in now. So when you're watching this on YouTube, uh, there'll be like links and stuff like that. So very good. Tom, greatly yes, appreciate you taking the time to be on with us. Uh, very, very educational. I learned a lot this episode. Thank you so much. I would love to have you back on. I mean, just uh, just yeah, to talk guns, man. You, you know your shit. Well, let me know. And um, if you give me another, enough heads up, you know, if you wanted to talk about a diverse array of things, I can always have it here to put it up on the screen. Have I'm our gun porn to... ready for the, the video, will. right? Um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't have the uh, Uzi Pro, the full auto here. I wish I'd had it, but it's... That's okay. You know, I, I made a special trip, and I got some some pictures and some video of that for our lead heads. So I'll be posting those along with the show when we post it. So uh, so be, be paying attention to that. Uh, and then again, go and support our sponsors. Go show them the love. Let them know how much you appreciate them. And um, that's how we're able to bring this show to you each and every month. The Talking Lead AK Corner. We'll be back next month with a new episode and new topic for the AK Corner. So until the next episode of the AK Corner, Leadheads, get out to the range and hopefully I'll see you there. Absolutely.